Welcome to Unbooking the Territory Season 2, where we look at the first and last, the beginnings and ends, the alphas and omegas of professional wrestling. We are live from the streets of a chilly New York City, but it is about to get very hot here in Manhattan. Hello everyone, I'm Sean Mooney. A few minutes ago, it was a mob scene out here. Everyone braving the ele elements to be a part of Monday Night Raw. But now they're inside set for the action. Hey, hey, wait a minute. What? Bobby Heenan. I'm what going in there. No, 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 no. Oh, you, you yes, I am. You were replaced. I went replaced? Yes. Uh, By who? It would replace well, me. Rob Bartlett. You're not I don't uh, care about Rob Bartlett. This is Monday Night Raw, live from New York City. That's and right. I've got to be in there to host no, it. No, no, you're not. No, what do you mean, no, no. You can't get in. I'm sorry. What do you mean, you, I can't you, get in? I can get in. I can buy a ticket. No, they there, don't want there are no tickets left. It's sold out in there. They're jammed to the rafters. Well, then show me the press gate so I can get through here. I didn't make up the rules here. I didn't know anything about the rules. I'm your host, Dan Griffin, joined as ever by the garrulous UTT Rob. Rob, how are you, mate? Um, I'm worried about that one. That one could be an insult. I'm not so sure. You know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. This is the problem. I'm not a, uh, <laughs> a linguist. So I brought some backup by bringing num another numbers guy on the show with us this week. Oh, God, I'm getting tag-teamed by the uh, by the Carol Vorderman and Rachel Riley of, uh, of wrestling podcasting. Oh, right wing as Rachel Riley, Jesus Christ. I was going to say you can argue about that one, but since you've started the intro, Rob, do you want to finish it off? Well, we have the absolute pleasure of going on his uh, podcast, on the Good Cop, Bad Cop podcast, and uh, we had his um, tag team partner on the show, Matt Willis, so we've got Graham. How, how are you, Graham? Uh, I'm doing good. As soon as you mentioned there was going to be numbers, then I was, yeah, straight away I was like, I'm, I'm down for some numbers talk for sure. Talk mean, talk mean median, talk mode, talk all those things to me, Rob, and I'm going to be happy today. Two plus two is five. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on I mean, what base system you're talking. You might actually get away with that one, actually. I don't know about a base system. I've got a beer system. <laughs> I'm learning percentages that way. <laughs> Oh dear, I've completely forgotten where we're going to go next. Well, so I mentioned beer, so uh, I don't know. I don't know, Graham. Are you drinking or are you being sent? I'm drinking, but not beer. Um, my brain has like been like Swiss cheese this week. I went to the store and then forgot what I went to the store for, and was like, oh, I probably just wanted to do a shop. So I was going to pick up some beers, and did I remember to pick up anything exclusive to Virginia? Of course not. So I'm drinking uh, something I got stole from my son. Uh, it's a um, Skittles drink. It's one of those uh, dilute drinks. So I'm drinking. Um, a hot Skittles drink, which I've actually found is uh, particularly tasty. Um, as you talk percentages, 2% calcium, apparently. So that's, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Good for the bones. Have you tried Skittles vodka? I saw that I, the other day. And I was like, I that, that's got the thing I got for my, um, I, I've suddenly found the perfect gift for my mother now. I just send her alcohol. <laughs> She's always really happy about that. So I saw that there was a, like a Jaffa cake vodka, I think it was, a Jaffa cake gin, a Jaffa cake rum. There's like three different ones. So I sent a couple of bottles of those to her, and apparently they went down really well. So yeah, the the sweet and the alcohol thing can go can go together really well, apparently. Oh, it's setting off bad memories of uh, Skittles vodka in Newcastle, Rob. I thought they were. I thought they were lost forever. <laughs> Took the rainbow. <laughs> oh, you you would see as it was about. I think it was about quadruple for about three quid. Ooh. Oh dear, the the, the mid to late two thousands. <laughs> what are you drinking, Rob? Uh, well, I'm starting out from our friends at Tartarus Brewing with a marshmallow Abaddon. It's a 17% Russian Imperial Stout. And if you go to Tartarus Beers and put in the promo code UTT Podcast 15, you can get 15% off. 
you can, and uh, I've availed myself of that naturally, because uh, why wouldn't you? Uh, I've gone to Tartarus as well for my first one, and I'm drinking Eos, a Belgian brew tail at 11%. And as usual with Tartarus, it's bloody lovely, because finding out as I make my way through the range, Tartarus just don't make bad beer. No, they don't. I've given this a five. Uh, before I get on to what else I've got lined up after that, very exciting news. This last week, Tartarus and Salt Brewery have been making a collab, which will be out soon. So two favourites of the show together at last. I cannot wait for that. I'll, I'll basically drink whatever they put in front of me. It could be the, could be the drippings from the, uh, the runoff tray. I'd still have it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, what else have you got lined up? Yeah, so after that, I've got Hophead, which is a hoppy golden ale from Dark Star Brewing Co. I'm going to go quite low down in the alcohol after the 17% and try and average it out, because uh, I, I know you've had problems before, Dan, so that's 3.8%. And, and then I've got a Tropical Pale Ale from Brew Gooder, and that's, again, 3.9%. So after that, I think I'll have averaged it all out and get back on the stronger stuff. I'm, uh, I'm really glad that you've, uh, that you've learned from my errors. <laughs> because <laughs> it's uh, as, as, as good as it sounds and as tasty as it was following a 17 percenter up with the uh, well, i think it was a 10 percenter and a 12 percenter it will result in in drunkenness essentially and we're all about drinking responsibly or so we say um, <laughs> i'll be following up the uh, the eos with uh, northern monk ofs 063 which is a canadian breakfast stout uh, coffee maple vanilla brown sugar and pancake flavour apparently so looking forward to that and then i've got another northern monk it's from the patrons project uh, series it's 34.01 and it's a soft center imperial stout at 11 percent, which is uh, strawberry cherry cacao and vanilla excellent and i claim That's not good. to and i claim not to have a sweet tooth <laughs> so while we're on the subject of uh, of beer and before we get into uh, a bit more about graham uh, what would you guys recommend to, to drink with the show graham you're asking the wrong person, really. I am. I am it not doesn't. Ha- it doesn't have. It doesn't have to be booze, mate. We've had everything on this show from from beer to vodka to bleach to coffee. I think we had coffee once. Maybe I can't remember. Um, I, I think probably my recommendation for listening to the podcast. When I started listening to you guys, it was last year when um, my son had lacrosse practice, so it was normally pretty warm. So um, I think the probably sensible option for me recommendation would just be a water, I guess. Virginia Summers, quite it's, possibly it's hot, the but most rehydrate. So, uh, not a very popular choice, probably. But uh, yeah, I think water's probably my drink that I probably drink most frequently when I'm listening to the podcast. No, a necessary one. You're absolutely right. We said about drinking responsibly earlier, and you can't be any more responsible than having a good old slug of water. I know, uh, I know, Chris. Be- at least two of our listeners, Chris Bellis and uh, and my mate Cookies, will uh, will both be very happy with that recommendation. <laughs> Rob, what would you recommend? Oh, well, just, just on um, Chris Bellis's area of expertise, a, a minor correction that I found out today. We did um, a previous episode of UTT podcast where we said that Johnny the Bull had been out with a torn hamstring at one point. I was uh, reading something today that it was a torn urethra. Yikes. <sighs> so we'll have to get uh, Chris Bellis's uh, expert opinion on that one, but it sounds a lot worse than a hamstring, doesn't it? Well, the uh, man just retreated into my abdomen. <laughs> Yeah. So the beer that I'm recommending is Maple Moon. It's 4.8% strong bitter with uh, maple flavourings from Joseph Holt Brewery. And I'm recommending it because Max Moon was on the show. <laughs> we, 
we went a similar route then because uh, I'm recommending uh, The Thundertaker by Brew York, which is an American pale ale at 5.5%. It's one of the Survivor Series range of cryo pot pale ales, and I actually drank it on the show. Uh, yeah. I gave it a solid 3.25 and untapped. So, yeah, get The Thundertaker, and if you if you fancy it, why not grab the rest of the range as well? It's worth getting, getting paid for these plugs. But it's worth going for the cans. The only thing I'd say about that range is it's basically all the same beer in four different cans, even though they say it's not. Yeah, but it's all, so, it's all solid tasting, so... Yeah, it's good. It's good, it's just not different, so... Yeah. you still got your unique checkings, though, so stop bitching. I did, I did. Well, <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> so, now that we've got the beer talk out of the way... Graham, most podcasts will uh, go the generic route of how did you get into wrestling, what's your favourite match and all the rest of it, uh, but we're genetic freaks and we're not normal, so we uh, we gave you some homework and we asked you to rank in order of importance to you uh, the five factors from season one, storyline, presentation, promos, in-ring and fan response. You did. I thought that was for the end of the show. Hold on, let me <laughs> let me scroll down. Um, I was really worried because you sent me this kind of with less than 24 hours notice. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm working. I've got slow. I wasn't even sure I was going to get all this done. This is kind of tough. Uh, this wasn't as easy as, I don't know. I don't really analyze it like that. I think I watch wrestling kind of different to how most people do as well. So I went with storyline, in-ring, technical ability, and selling. I went five for that one because that's that, that one was the most. I, I think... No matter what, what organization I'm watching, if if the wrestling itself is not good or if the storytelling is not good, then I'm not going to be invested in it anyway. So I think to me that one had to be the most important ones. Um, I do like a good promo, though, and presentation mm. as well. I think that's one of the ways that the indie companies can get around. If they don't have the top talent, you make sure that your product looks good. So I put that one as second um, with four. And I also put that one below storyline because commentary, often when we go to live events, you don't get the commentary. So to me, that's yeah. not an integral part of the wrestling experience. But obviously the stuff in the ring is. So I had to put those two ahead. Um, the fan response, I, I don't, I, I went really low on that one. I went two. And the reason I didn't, the reason I went so low is if the other two are good, then the fan response is going to follow from that anyway. And that takes yeah. care of itself. Just because the fan response is good does not necessarily mean the wrestling is going to be good. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But to me, it was it like does. a fan response follows from what's put in front of you. But you can't have it the other way around. So I kind of went low with that. But also, I've had numerous times when the crowd has really been into something. I'm like, I don't know what you're enjoying right now. And the reverse, <laughs> when I've been really into a match and no one else is really responding to it. So um, it did say how you feel. But crowd reaction, yeah, it's... It can make a difference, but I don't. I I rated it far less than the other the other two things. You just did the really eloquent version of, of my opinion. I put fan response at one, at one, yeah, the uh, least important because ultimately, I don't care what other people think of it as long as I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I completely uh, completely understand all of that. It's uh, it's uh, nice to have storyline back up there again. Because uh, we obviously had the whole thing in season one of uh, me and Rob just uh, just grumpy old men who want to be sat in a chair and tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any thoughts on that, Rob? To be honest, I've had a little bit of a problem of getting it down in the right order. So, did you have was it was it in ring for just for my notes here for because I'm I'm going to do because I didn't send Matt's out previously, so I'll get uh, you on head to head FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> so there was so I had in ring at five. Yeah. Uh, promos at four, yeah, and fan response at two. 
All right, so, so what were you giving one and three to? Oh, I thought there was only three categories. Did I mis- misunderstand the whole thing then? What were the other two categories? So, so there's storyline and production, aside from the promos, the in-ring and fan response. Oh, gosh. You need to put some commas when you send direct messages, Rob. I, I tried breaking this up. I deliberately took the tweet and I separated it into a little bit. And that was when I was confused. I was like, it goes five to one. And I was like, there's only three categories here. So I was kind of... Um, this is going to work perfectly, Graham, actually. This is going to work perfectly because I'm sure that Matt's used more than the points available, uh, breaking the rules. So if you've used less than the points available, he's had some of yours and his, uh, his radar is going to look a lot bigger than yours. And that's going to be perfect for the... Uh, well, if yeah. it's true, then if there was two other categories, then fan response would have gone down to one then, because that's pro- I can't imagine even what the other two were. The production or whatever you said would have been higher than the fan response. The fan response is the least. Is the least. It's great when you're with a, a crowd that's on the same page as you, but I can still enjoy wrestling when it's not true. So yeah, cool. I, I would put fan response low. Excellent. Well, get those out on uh, FIFA radars, comparing you to your uh, your podcast partner. And we'll uh, we'll see in a direct comparison how Matt thinks he's won somehow. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Well, actually, I was going to say I can't imagine we're on the same page. But in terms of viewing, and we 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 probably might be actually. I'm sure he must have had storyline pretty high. He must have had storyline at five as well. He's points. Yeah. If it is, this might be the first time we've ever agreed on something. This could be a this could be a unique moment in podcasting history if Matt and I actually agree on something. I'll make a mental note to proofread and edit Rob's essay since I'm the words man. <laughs> oh dear, I'll tell you what we did forget, Rob. Does uh, Beth have a beer of the week for us? She does indeed. And Beth's beer of the week is peanut butter chocolate by Drygate. So that was Best Beer of the Week there. It's uh, peanut butter chocolate, and it's a collaboration between Drygate Brewery and Fierce Brewery. It's a 7.4% Imperial Double Pastry Stout. It's one that she's given three out of five to an untapped, and I've given 3.5. Sounds like something that would be well above a four for me, to be honest. That's very much up my street Yeah. Um, in terms of flavour. Yeah, I'd be up for that. So now that we've uh, we've got all the niceties out of the way, I guess it's time for us to dive into this uh, this very first episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, it aired on January on January the eleventh, nineteen ninety three, uh, on the USA Network as a replacement for primetime wrestling, and it came to us from the Grand Ballroom at the Manhattan Center. Uh, it was kind of breaking new ground a little bit in terms of uh, televised professional wrestling being live. Up to now, wrestling shows were traditionally sort of taped on sound stages smaller audiences or it was a large arena show and you know that matches taped weeks in advance with the studio voiceovers and tape discussion in between you know on all the rest of it uh raw was shot uh, shot and aired live uh, as they kept reminding us throughout the course of this show and so obviously you saw the angles as they happened uh it did uh, from what all i could find it did a 2.5 rating and if that's wrong i'm yeah. sure rob will jump in and uh, oh i've got something right how about that um, it, it, it's funny the, though because you know we're looking at some of the 2000 um, nitros for unbooking the tankatory and you know that's supposedly an era when nitros doing badly and it's at or above this level that raw was hitting un, unopposed as its debut show and if if dave melts is to be believed you uh, only go down from your first show that's what he said <laughs> well that is demonstrably and provably bollocks um, yeah, yeah. So, I take that alleged shoe sniffer, Dave. Um, 
as far as the grand ballroom goes, I, uh, I couldn't find anything on the attendance, but it does have a maximum capacity of 1,200 uh, seated. So I'm not sure we were quite at that level, but there were a fair few in. Yeah, there were a thousand in for this show, apparently. It's not the record. There were 1,300 for uh, Ring of Honor Final Battle 2010, which was El Generico versus Kevin Steen in a fight without honor, Mask versus Korea. I wonder what ever happened to El Generico. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he run that orphanage in Mexico? Yeah. Allegedly so, but I don't know. I just... Something about him that seems familiar somehow, you know, on uh, on th- on Friday nights. Not that I watched, not that I've watched SmackDown in over a year, but anyway. Yeah. So, uh, I thought you were going to say it's Fuego del Sol. <laughs> on Fridays? On Rampage. I forgot Rampage existed. Oops. <laughs> was this anyway. in the Grand Ballroom or the Hammerstein Ballroom? Because it says uh, the Manhattan Centre has two. It was the Grand Ballroom, this one. Okay, all right. Because the other thing, um, I look at totally different things. Um, the Hammerstein Ballroom, the record attendance was for the recent GCW event. Because when I started looking, I was like, oh, I've heard Hammerstein recently. And I was like, oh, GCW, obviously. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to buy that. And then I realized that I've still got GCW shows to catch up on from five months ago. So I'm not allowed to, <laughs> I'm not allowed to buy any more shows until I watch those ones. <laughs> I had to give myself a bit of a bollocking. It was, uh, I was spending too much on GCW shows that I wasn't catching up on. I've got up to Bloodspot 7, though. It was a very pricey one. Someone told me that someone asked me, am I watching it? And I said, no. And then they said, have you seen the card? And I said, no. And then they sent me the card. And I was like, ooh, actually, that might be tempting. And then they told me the price. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, I want to I'm, I want to save up this year and get the um, get the collective shows around WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, yeah. And I'm basically not going to sleep for three days, <laughs> which will be fun. Uh, but anyway, getting into the uh, into this episode of Raw itself, we get a foggy shot of what I think is the Empire State Building, uh, it is. somewhere behind there. And uh, Sean Mooney welcomes us from the streets of chilly New York City, but it's about to get very hot in Manhattan. Uh, a few minutes ago, he assures us there was a mob scene as people clamoured to be part of Monday Night Raw, but they're all inside. And we see the man himself, Bobby Heenan, just toddling past, trying to get in. And Sean Mooney has to explain to him that he's been replaced by some bloke called Rob Bartlett who, I'll be honest, I completely forgot to look into. Apparently, he's a comedian. Well, you yeah, know. Yes. there's no, no interest on this show. show. I, I, you just, both of you talking over, over each other at that point, but I'm guessing right. what, I'm guessing, no, I got the gist of it was that he's not funny at all. <laughs> he, and he just comes across as an absolute wanker, to be honest, uh, for most of it. Uh, but Heenan's been replaced, and... Uh, He's saying he'll buy a ticket, but it's sold out, so he'll find the press gate, and they uh, and Heenan's basically arguing uh, into the intro. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts of this uh, this old-school Raw intro? My thought actually precedes this, because I actually was interested, and I mentioned this to you, Dan, so I was kind of curious about what happened on the last primetime. Now, I couldn't find the whole episode, but I did manage to find a few clips. So pretty much the story was laid out that Vince and uh, Gorilla Monsoon were there, and they were basically going, yeah, you're done. We, we don't want you anymore, Bobby the Brain, you're, you're finished. And somebody came in backstage who, I don't know who the character was, clearly a comedic character, and he said, we'd like to present you with an Emmy, but you clearly don't deserve it. We want to give you a corny. And they gave him a corn on the cop, which was like oh my god this is awful like it was so lame but they made it very clear that on that last episode that this is a fresh start and bobby the brain heenan was having nothing to do with it so actually it transferred pretty nicely from the old into the new episode 
Yeah, because primetime wrestling at that point would have been a uh, more of a panel show, wouldn't it? If I remember rightly. From what I could tell, there was very yeah. limited clips. They had like the first scene, they had the end scene, and they didn't have any clips of the wrestling at all. So, but yeah, it was just like in a, it was like a chat show. From what I could tell, I used to like primetime wrestling when they had sort of a table and wrestlers around it, and they'd have discussions about the matches and stuff. Ironically, it felt more sporting presentation than you know what we're led to believe sporting presentation wrestling is because. That's exactly what you get if you're watching the football. You get, you know, a, a series of pundits around a table discussing the matches and stuff. So it, it did feel more like a sport when they trail like that. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was just going through my mind then, um, particularly in, in American sports, the throw of something like uh, American football, throw back to the studio very frequently. And you get people discussing every, you know, basically the far end of a fart about everything. Uh, you know, breaking every little aspect of it down. So, yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. But I actually really like this intro. It, I, yeah. It just, it seemed pretty, the graphics particularly seemed pretty slick for 1993. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's not the um, the riot uh, entrance theme that we, we come to know and love on Raw, but uh, it's a decent one. They certainly have yeah. worse ones in the uh, over the next five years. Yeah. yeah, they do. And I'll be honest, I like the uh, I like the saxophone music as well. And uh, we get the classic early 90s growly Vince intro, welcoming us to Monday Night Raw live from the Manhattan Center, which I think they've managed to they've managed to drop in Manhattan Center on New York City about five times in the first uh, the first sort of two and a half, three minutes, which is uh, which is decent. But uh, we get the rundown of the card. Um, Vince is stood there with uh, with uh, Randy Savage and Rob Bartlett. Uh, Vince hypes up the uh, the Steiner Brothers match and the Razor interview. Rob Bartlett's uh, excited for uh, for Yokozuna, which sounds good until he starts about you know, talking about Yokozuna wearing a diaper, which is just uh, low hanging fruit and sets the tone. Did you did you think that Rob Bartlett looked like Ed Ferrara? Not initially, but now that you mention it, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I had, had a sim- similarly uh, palatable commentary experience. <laughs> <laughs> He reminded me of somebody else, but I didn't write it down at the time because I didn't hear the name initially. And I was like, oh, it's... And in my head, I'm thinking it's somebody else. And then when they finally did the announcement, I was like, oh, that's not who I thought it was. But I cannot remember who I thought it was. But yeah, I know exactly, I, I know I was, exactly what you mean, Graham. Yeah. I was, I was trying to pull a name out of my head, but he, he looks like somebody passingly famous. It could just be generic 90s American guy as well. If, if you told me if at some point he was some sort of NFL coach just stood on the sidelines... You know, mustachioed and yelling at people. I can believe that as well. <laughs> so yeah, Bartlett's uh, hyping Yokozuna. Then uh, Savage is talking about uh, Damien Demento versus Savage's favourite wrestler, The Undertaker, which sort of caught me a little bit off guard. I did do a little bit of a look into Rob Bartlett. Like I said, he's allegedly a comedian, and before this he'd been headlining in uh, one of the Vegas casinos, as well as doing the talk show circuit. So he got his start, uh, he was part of an improv trio with Eddie Murphy. And uh, it comes as no surprise to anybody who's watched this show that he got canned from Monday Night Raw because fans hated his commentary because he knew sod all about wrestling. Well, that that isn't the worst thing about his commentary, though, is it? Let's be honest, and we'll we'll cover no. that as we go on. The the lack of wrestling knowledge is far down the list of why he'd want to get rid of Rob Bartlett. Yeah. So this was January eleventh. It said his final appearance was April nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. So he made it through three months. So he did not get very far. That was about three months too long. Yeah, but yes, yes. <laughs> I can't believe he made it through one episode. Yep. 
so we go into the first match, and it's oh, before that, Dan. There's actually oh, a God. segment that's been deleted from the net and the network. Some have been peacocked. Yeah. I have been patient like a lion, waiting, watching, biding my time. But now, the hunter has finally spotted its prey, and soon. I will strike. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise right there means it's time for Steve to booker it better. Oh, fuck me. Well, let me tell you something, Cole, about Veer Mahan. This is a man who tries to hide his identity, but the problem is, unlike my former tag team partner, Goldust. He only covers up a quarter of his face, his forehead. At least gold dust. Oh my god, he covered up his face with gold. This guy, just white. And you can see his eyes, you can see his nose, and his, and his rubbish beard. And let me tell you something, Cole. This guy claims to be a monster. The only monster I've ever wrestled with is Kane. Kane, the seven foot legit monster. And oh my goodness, you do not want to get in the ring with him. Via <laughs> <laughs> Mahan, 30 years into his vignettes. Via Mahan's officially been coming to the WWF longer than Brackets. He's going to get cut. He'll get cut before he ever appears. Yeah. Oh. Not if Booker T introduces him. <laughs> Not if Steve O impersonating Booker T introduces him. The Overlight Rover. That's what they need to do. We'll send Steve over to work on WWE creative. It'll be brilliant. Just book a tea in every segment. <laughs> I, got, I was at work earlier and ended up booking the uh, booking the return of Aces and Eights while I was on the toilet uh, into the modern day Impact product. So that was fun. Anyway, that's a complete irrelevant side note. Uh, we go to uh, Millwall Chris's favourite wrestler, Coco Beware, uh, against Yoko Zuna. Coco's out to the ring. Uh, he's just... Real high energy, uh, all clapping and dancing, and he's uh, much more neon than we saw on his debut on uh, on Superstars with your. Uh, I was I was going to say friend Graham, but cohort Matt Willis uh, when we covered that with him. <laughs> and then well, we get, you get uh, talking talking about Matt Willis. Do you hear what Rob Bartlett said when you saw Coco Beware? He said, um, I, "I wonder whatever happened to Gary Coleman." And I've written in my notes what you're talking about, Willis. I have the exact same note in mind to make sure my co-host got a shout out. Yep, that's the name of one of his. I don't know how many podcasts he has, but myriad, we'll say. Thousand four, isn't it? Uh, I think it's more than that. He claims it's four, but he has ones where he's technically like, "I'm a producer," and it's not a weekly one, so it doesn't count. And yeah, he he has all sorts of different technicalities, but yeah. Matt, manipulating statistics on a technicality, I simply do not believe it, and I will not have that kind of slander, sir. No matter how, no matter how accurate. <laughs> so we get Yoko out next, and uh, as we saw through uh, through that nineties wrestling podcast and through UT, uh, the first season of UTT, uh, they've, they've splashed out for the Rentagation. And, uh, well, you, you can really tell, though, because you know a, a proper official geisha is spending a hell of a lot of money on you know, the whole look and everything. Uh, and th- they've gone, you know, the, the, it's like this is the bronze level geisha that they've gone from the Renner geisha. <laughs> <laughs> the bargain package. 
Yeah. And one thing I did realise as well, that it's, it's quite insane that this is Yokozuna looking trim. Which just Well, yeah. We get a... Uh, it was at this point that I realised that Rob Bartlett is basically Jerry Lawler before Jerry Lawler was on commentary. When he just comes out with the line, he's got an ass like an amphitheatre. Um, the other yeah. one was, that's one big buttered oriental Vince. I was like, oh my gosh. So there yeah, was quite, casual, quite a... Casual cringe. racism. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, cringe just in the just in the introductions, never mind the actual match itself. But yeah, it definitely uh, set the stall for how he meant to go on, that's for sure. There's one point where he says there's no Japanese word for leftovers. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the, the Japanese word for leftovers is no korimono. So we'll just throw it out there. But... Uh, <laughs> Rob Bartlett just just assumed the one. Is it he's seen the fat guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit fucking rich coming from him as well. Coming from Rob Bartlett. He wasn't exactly slim trim, was he? But it was he was such was Rob Bartlett's just sheer knobheadery that it prompted Vince to remind the viewers at home that it was live, uncut and uncensored. I don't think he liked uh, I don't think he liked old Mr. Bartlett. It's uncooked, isn't it? Live it's uh well is it? I don't know. Uncut, uncooked, uncensored. Wasn't that what they were trying to get over all night? Yeah, multiple times. Yep. Thankfully, I completely missed that. So I get well, I get what they're going for with the uncooked thing. You know, it's raw way. Yeah. But no, just no. <laughs> so this was uh, essentially a uh, essentially a squash match, as you'd expect from uh, from Yokozuna. They had a habit of doing this around this time period. They had an unnecessary camera angle between Yoko's legs, <laughs> looking at his opponent. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It wasn't even. It wasn't even a camera full of ass. It was just a camera full of ass and taint. Uh, sorry, thighs and taint, basically. I, just, I don't. Somebody thought they were being really artistic. It's just like, nah, we don't need it, mate. <laughs> it's just, just strange. Yeah. Oh, then we get Rob Bartlett cracking a joke about Yokozuna needing a bra. So yeah, I've, I've, I've just put some comedian. He's not he's not made me laugh once yet. And spoilers, folks, he won't. He won't I make think, me laugh once. I mean, we, we've had to issue apologies to Mark Madden before when we've uh, come across even worse Jerry Lawler uh, commentary. I think we have to now issue an apology to Jerry Lawler that we've found someone much worse than Jerry Lawler. Uh, hmm. I wouldn't go as far as apologising to Jerry Lawler. No, no. But some of the stuff he says on this show is. Um, Extremely worrying. It's fucking horrendous. <laughs> it didn't date well, that's for sure. Yeah, it makes you realise how how far we've come since 1993. <laughs> but the match is uh, there's not a lot to write home about. It's a decent it's decent enough for a squash match. Yoko's obviously got the power game. It's it's always impressive when you see someone the size. Coco beware's a big dude, but to see him just like bouncing off Yoko is it just makes Yoko look a spectacle. So it, it did what it was meant to do. Yoko looked strong. There was a bit of minor peril off the Coco uh, drop kicks, but ultimately Yoko hits the leg drop. Fucking Rob Bartle again asks if that was a butt drop, and Vince doesn't know enough wrestling moves to correct him, which was amusing. He threw, Yoko just throws him in uh, Coco into the corner. Sorry, Yoko Coco's getting my uh, getting me all messed up, uh, and he hits the bonsai drop, and uh, and that's it. The crowd were into it, though. They were into the finish. Yeah. But um, did you guys notice how long Yoko sat on Coco Beware's chest for? Uh, I do not remember. It just seemed a scary amount of time. 
like to have that that amount of weight on your chest. It was mm-hmm. I just I wonder if it, I wonder if it just felt longer than it actually was. I'm sure it's not as long as it felt for Coco. But all that went through my head was just imagine if Yoko just for a laugh just farted. <laughs> <laughs> just sent just sent a rippler right through Coco's sternum. I'm a child, I can't help it. I'm sure the weight enough would have been painful. And in some ways, that might have actually lifted him up a little bit off him. It might have been a a welcome uh, respite, actually. He does the world's largest shit and he's like elevating above it as he's pooing (laughs) and spinning round. (laughs) (laughs) You got to save that stuff for a pay per view event. I, I was just about to ask how many people are going to pay to watch someone shit on someone else's chest, but I don't think I want the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, don't Google that. <sighs> oh dear. Next up, we get uh, we get an advert for the Royal Rumble, uh, comparing it to an earthquake. It was a fairly standard Rumble ad. It was fine, and then because it's the nineties, we have to have an inexplicable. Uh, ring girl walking around the ki- uh, walking around the ring in not very much clothing, holding a Monday Night Raw sign. Is it like, and uh, Rand- like they used to have in boxing? And Randy Savage said he's glad he had X-ray vision. Yeah, pervy Randy Savage. He also yeah. referred to her as the little lady in the ring as well. There was a, a lot of uh, choice words there, which it was very cringy. There was a lot of stuff that was like, oh dear. Yep. I tried to find out who she was now. I couldn't find anything at all. But one of the ring girls um, from the first year of Raw is now really high up in the Republican Party. So some people have used it for a, a springboard. Was it Marjorie Taylor Greene, was it? Well, Linda, of I course, just, I... is high up in the Republican Party, but it's clearly not her. <laughs> I just can't believe I actually mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene on a, pod, on a podcast. It's Fermis Calades from WF Ring Girl to House Minority Leader. Senate House Minority Leader, who once worked as a ring girl in WWE, brings determination to the Grand Old Party Carcass. Mm. Fair enough. Don't know what what most of that means. (laughs) In terms of the actual role within politics, I know what the words individually mean, just not how they fit together. I've lived over here for 20 years, and I still don't understand the political system over here. If I ever decide to become a citizen, I'm screwed, because I have to take that test, and I just, yeah, I just don't get it over here. I, I missed my basic <laughs> high school education in the in the political system over here, and uh, yeah, it's I'm still confused between senators and governors. So any American listeners will be embarrassed at my um, lack of knowledge right now. But it's a very confusing system. I'm, I'm sure the British system, from an American's point of view, would be equally confusing as well. Like, so what's the Queen's role? What's the House of Lords? What's the once you grow up with it, you you, you kind of understand how it works. But once you put in a different yeah. system, suddenly it gets very confusing. I'll tell you one thing about foreign politics that uh, I think is great, and Australian uh, listeners might correct me on this. Now, I believe it's compulsory to vote in Australia, and I believe one of the bonuses that they give people for going to the polls to vote is what's called a democracy sausage, and it's normally a slice of bread with a sausage in it. And apparently there was an Australian, I think it was a prime minister, who had been seen coming out of the polls of this democracy sausage, but he had it in a brioche bun, and apparently his approval ratings like shot down overnight because he wasn't seen as a man of the people anymore. <laughs> I have heard that as well. I could imagine that working in America. You get a free hot dog if you vote. I could imagine that working here. Nah, I think uh, I think recent regimes have been more more concerned with stopping people voting than encouraging it. <laughs> and the same over here, sadly. 
but we will get into that because uh, we've got Bobby Heenan's promo to talk about, <laughs> and it's it's Heenan hyping up the uh, the incoming Narcissus to take out Mister Perfect, and I do have it verbatim, but I just sort of marvel in how good Heenan is in general. Just I could listen to him talk for hours. It's it's a real shame that he's not around to do like the interview circuit or the podcast circuit you know, anything like that, because Heenan would just be phenomenal. Uh, but he's basically hyping up uh, the incoming Narcissus, saying that compared to, uh, you know, perfect, alleged to be perfect, but compared to Narcissus, he's, he's hot. It's like comparing ice cream to horse manure. And Bobby actually gets it the wrong way around. Yeah. He, he, the, <laughs> the way he phrases it, he's saying that Mr. Perfect's ice cream and Narcissus is hot shit. <laughs> to be fair, he has seen them both. <laughs> he's seen them both wrestle as well. Yeah. Or more importantly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's a decent way to fill uh, to fill a couple of minutes. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the uh, on the promo itself. Yeah, it was just a bit over the top with it. He did mention that it was like the Narcissus was from another galaxy. Uh, I did wonder if there was uh, a, a Statlander tie-in. I wondered if she'd uh, managed to transverse the uh, great distances between the galaxies on the Lex Express. <laughs> I was just thinking maybe Max Moon brought him. Possibly. Any thoughts on it, Graham? No, I don't have anything to add for that one. It didn't didn't particularly catch my attention, i got to say. Fair enough. I am just an unashamed human mark, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we get another matchup next, and it's the uh, the Steiner Brothers versus the Executioners. The Executioners get the jobber entrance. Um, I had a little look into the uh, into the Executioners. One of them is uh, is a guy called Barry Hardy. No relation to the, uh, the Hardys we all know and love today. And the other was Dwayne Gill, the infamous yeah. Gilberg. What I didn't realise was that Hardy and Gill held uh, had five uh, tag team reigns across uh, four promotions uh, on the independents, uh, ASWA, EWF, MEWF and WWA. So they had the success. They didn't have it here. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's when the Steiners come out, they're as popular as ever. And Bartlett doesn't know which Steiners which. So you just sat there thinking, why... All you've given so far is shit jokes, and now you don't know who. So why the fuck are you there? Absolute spare part. So the match starts. Uh, Scott Stein is in. He takes down the executioner. There's a whip and a tilt a whirl slam, and we see a mysterious clown-faced figure in the crowd. Mm. Don't know if you guys picked up on this at, at this point, but it's uh, Rob Bartlett. <laughs> no, he's the <laughs> he's the clown at the commentary desk. Uh, we've got Doink in the crowd. Yep. Doing a great yeah, job yeah. Of, uh, of distracting focus from what was going on. Because uh, was this uh, this can't have been Doink's debut, was it, Rob? Or did Doink debut earlier? Um, I completely forgot to look this up. It possibly was. I mean, he's there with the um, sling um, on, with his yes. broken arm, which is obviously going to attack Crush with that, uh, the rumble. But, yeah, po- possibly it was. Oh, so he appeared in late 92, so it was still early days for... Uh, uh, for Doink, made his ring debut in ninety, uh, some point in ninety three. That's why I was getting confused. But again, this is uh, it's a bit of a squash match, but it's a decent squash match. Um, just to get the uh, the Steiners over as dominant forces, the the executions didn't really didn't really get any uh, any offense in. Uh, it did make me laugh when <laughs> I think it was Steiner launched one of the executions just dick first straight into the turnbuckle. <laughs> that uh, that was amusing. <laughs> again, childish sense of humor. Can't help it. I don't know why, but I've always got a soft spot for 
uh, when a wrestler will grab two other wrestlers and just slam their heads together, you know, the double noggin knocker. It just, I don't know, it just made, it just warms my heart because it's, at this point, it's so old school. I, I can't recall the last time I saw it. World of Sport, mid 80s. I've not seen that much World of Sport. Well, we're going to have to rectify that now. Staple. I used to do their staple. Big Daddy would do that all the time. Like you got the two, you got the tag team. They're beating up on the little guy. Somehow Big Daddy gets in there, grabs the two guys, bang the two heads together. Yeah, so it's a classic. You see it also when you go to places like Butlins and they put on the shows there as well. It's good. It's cheap. It's good cheap comedy. It's one for the kid. The kids find it amusing. You don't have to. You know, there's no real damage done. Although, <laughs> perhaps with concussion training now, perhaps we know it's not such a good thing in theory. But um, yeah. It's it's one of the lesser moves. But it's amusing. I'll tell you what was nice. It was uh, Scott Steiner turning a bear hug into the overhead belly to belly. That is that's always impressive. There was a sort of double under power bomb as well, and then the the Steiners hit the uh, the sort of the electric chair bulldog combo uh, for the three. And it was it was another, another squash, but enjoyable enough for me. What did you reckon, Graham? Along the same lines. It was over far too quickly. I thought the uh, the executioners, they kind of reminded me of the uh, Conquistadors many years later. It kind of had a very similar vibe. And um, yeah, no, I actually wondered if you'd invited, invited me on for this show specifically, because uh, both those guys were local guys. Like, I didn't realize who the executioners were at all. I had to look it up as well. But Gil's from uh, Maryland and Barry's from uh, Richmond, Virginia, originally, it said. But they ended up being, so I, I went into a little more detail then with them being local to me to find out a little bit. They ended up being neighbors. I was like, oh, okay. Oh. Like, Glenn Burney is probably about an hour away from me, something like that, an hour, 15 minutes. And young Gil used to go around and go, hey, you want to watch wrestling with me? And I don't get any more from that. There was a Rolling Stone article I read from about 2015, so they talked about that. And then I guess they kind of drifted away from each other. And, um, yeah, Gil saw Barry wrestling on uh, TV. It's like, oh, my gosh, that guy's really bulked up. And then he became uh, Gil's trainer. So I was like, oh, okay. And then they obviously tagged together and still wrestling fairly recently as well I, I looked up on cage match their last matches barry hardy was having matches up to 2017 in mansfield yeah. ohio which is literally an hour away from uh, where my uh, in-laws are as well so it's around that time i started watching uh, independent wrestling as well in theory i could have seen barry hardy uh, we went to aiw in cleveland instead but i could have gone and seen barry hardy that would have been really weird um if but, only you'd yeah. known it'd come to this point discussing him on uh, on a podcast <laughs> oh it, if that would have been and that would have probably been around my fourth fifth indie event but yeah no it was particularly close but no we saw one in cleveland and people like ethan page was appearing there uh hornswoggle was appearing there was a few other people as well so yeah in the end there was no competition but of the two that would have been on that weekend that was one of them of course i would have had no idea who barry hardy was at that time but that would have been that would have been a really nice coincidence but yeah richmond richmond born as far as i could tell but then yeah moved up to maryland oh that's pretty cool um dwayne gill actually has a connection to wrestling in the northeast of england as well, because uh, for North Wrestling, uh, I've mentioned it a few times on the show, and we were talking about them uh, off air before we started recording. North up in Newcastle, Dwayne Gill sent a uh, sent a video message for North's second birthday. <laughs> and, <laughs> and to be honest, if, he, if if Dwayne Gill came over and even just appeared, he would be one of the most over people in North because it was just great to see uh, to see him take the time. I don't know if he was paid for it or anything like that. I don't. I, I wouldn't begin to speculate, but. Yeah, just uh, had to throw in a tenuous link to uh, to, to independent wrestling in the north of England. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
And yeah. the other thing we found out in this match is it isn't just Veer Mahan that's coming to Raw, because Mitch Feverett of the Buffalo Bills is also heading to the World Wrestling Federation. He's never actually going to appear or make it, but uh, Vince said he's on his way. <laughs> he's still got time. Veer Mahan's driving. Uh, I think Veer Mahan's going to piggyback. That completely bypassed me, because at this point I had virtually tuned the commentary out completely, if I'm really honest. I was I started really enthusiastically, and I was like, "Oh, Yokozuna!" I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." And I haven't I haven't seen many Coco Beware matches either, so I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." And then I was like, "Oh, I haven't actually seen much of the Steiner brothers. Like, I've seen Scott, but I've never. Uh, is it Rick? I already forgot who his brother is. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Rick before, so I was kind of interested in that as well. And but then gradually, I was it was yeah, I was starting to tune out a little bit. I was getting a, a little bit distracted, and yeah, I was missing things. Yeah, so we haven't seen Rick Steiner verbally battling with the Chucky doll or uh, his uh, tag team championship run with Judy Bagwell in WCW. Uh, it sounds like I've missed a treat. That's that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> thing is, the thing is, watching all that stuff back now, I, I will come to this on a future recording, probably of, of uh, unbooking the Tankatory. But Rob's achieved one of his goals doing the uh, the first season of UTT and then subsequently the Tank podcast, I now actually find great entertainment value in WCW 2000. A lot, a lot of the times I'm laughing at it, but at least I'm having a good time watching it. <laughs> I'm sympathetic to it. Um, it was my first year in the States, so I was big into wrestling at that time. I was like, yes, we got American wrestling here, because I didn't have cable in when I was in yeah. England. So I was watching WWE, I was watching WCW, I was watching those things. So yeah, it was... I was totally into it. So, yeah, some of it's done by today's standards, but I'm quite happy going back and watching some of that stuff as well. And when I still had the network, I was actually going back and watching some of the WCW stuff. And then they put it on Peacock, and it was like, ugh, it's ugh. Thankfully, you guys don't have to deal with that. It's just not as user-friendly at all. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Peacock has appeared on my uh, on my Sky Plus Sky box. box yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. I'm kind of hoping mm. Disney buys them out because Disney Plus is better is better than Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> I might be able to get around it that way. Disney, right Disney. now, I can't complain too much. I do get free Premier League uh, soccer or football, I should call it properly, um, as part of that Peacock package. So I'm getting two things for the price of one. So there are some trade-offs, but the actual wrestling side of it is it's not pretty. I've heard it's garbage. It, it um, is. But something that I didn't think was garbage was the next segment on the show. What a segue. Uh, that was that was good for me. Shut up. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got, uh, we're at the exterior of the building again. Uh, Sean Moon is outside and he's uh, confronting a, a woman who's been detained by security. Uh, the lady in question is getting quite agitated, saying that she's Rob Bartlett's aunt. But Sean Moon is trying to sort of de-escalate the situation, saying that, uh, you know, that, oh, we can figure this out, we can figure this out. And then the wig comes off and it's Bobby Heenan. That of that rascal trying to sneak in. And this is a moment that would be replayed for decades to come, essentially. Because I remember seeing this at least on the, the 15th anniversary DVD package, uh, package that came out in about 2008. I'm sure it's still shown on sort of that. I'm sure it was on that old school Raw, you know, when they did the simulcast from yeah. the uh, whatever arena, arena it was and this, uh, and, and this ballroom. That oh, was the Barclays Arena, wasn't it? Yeah, Barclays. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and <laughs> we just we get. I can't remember who said it as uh, as it's coming out, but it, it might be Vince saying, "I thought I'd seen it all in the WWF, but Heenan in drag." <laughs> I got the 
feeling that the brains behind these costumes that Bobby Heenan kept appearing in were um, the junkyard dog and Andre the Giant back at the junkyard from that cartoon we reviewed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> from Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing is that when it went as it's all sort of fading out from that segment, you can just hear Bobby Heenan say to Sean Mooney, I'll give you $50 if you get me in. <laughs> There were empty seats as well. That's the whole joke of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's sold out. Never mind where these people are. They paid for the ticket. They just didn't show up. Oh, dear. Well, we go back into the arena and uh, Razor Ramon's coming out to the ring. Uh, he gets a fairly loud pop. Uh, the only thing louder than the pop is the shirt that he's wearing. It's a humdinger. Been He'd been to Benetton, hadn't he? <laughs> that, that, that was very 90s. It really was. And it's basically just about uh, the upcoming match between Razor Ramon and Bret Hart for the WWF title. And we get uh, we get Razor's usual shtick. Vince is asking him about what it took Hitman eight, eight and a half years to get to the title. And Razor's a Johnny come lately. And I quite like the line from Razor saying, uh, saying, hey, look, Hitman, eight and a half years to climb to the very, very top. You're the main man in WWF. Now say hello to Razor Ramon. I'm not going to try and do the voice. Eight and a half months, and I caught you. And it's just, I just I like this interview. It did a good job uh, leading to, um, uh, you know, leading into the match. And then they, the production side of things absolutely shat the bed towards the end of it because before this, Razor's attacked Owen Hart, and they play the clip over the top of it, but they decide to have all the sound from both live and the clip playing all at once, and it's completely unintelligible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but other yeah. than that. It was uh, it was a nice little uh, you know nice little interview, and I just love right at the end when you think it's done as the camera. I think the camera's sort of slowly panning away, and you just see Razor throwing the toothpick at Vince. Yeah, that was brilliant. I love that. It did feel very much like obviously it's on brand for Razor, but also when's he ever going to get a chance to throw anything at his boss? At the same time, you can kind of understand though that like there's going to be growing pains. Like you said, this is a revolutionary format. They're not used to doing yeah. this. It's pre-recording stuff. You got time to edit. Like the first AEW show, which I know you guys uh, reviewed recently, there was criticism on that one as well. And that's even from having. I'm sure you can bring people in and say, "Hey, you've done this on this show. We need you on mm-hmm. our show." Even when that happens, there's still going to be issues. So I'm sure on that first one, that's that's got to be difficult to. Uh, you're not going to get everything right, unfortunately. But it, from now, when you watch it back, it looks awful. Yeah, that's a fair point. Maybe I'm being a tad, uh, a tad nitpicky. Um, I think it's more, more for the fact that Razor was cutting a really good promo, mm-hmm. and then there's just this, there's just this dump in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, like I said, maybe a bit nitpicky, but nonetheless, it was still good, still decent. We didn't have to listen to Rob Bartlett for a few minutes, uh, which a was blessed very relief. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I said about having a, a having a good segue before. A macho man on commentary pulls off a great segue, saying that Razor's talking garbage. But you know what's not garbage? The headlock on hunger Somali relief fund, which is uh, I think it was a sh- I thought it was I didn't know what it was at first, but it was a uh, it was a show they were putting on. Uh, they were going to have per- uh, Mr. Perfect versus Ric Flair, Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow for the WWF title. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus Bob Bag- uh, Backlund for, as Macho Man put it, for another title. And then he I put in my notes, it was, it was Wing Commander Nash's Wonder Pants title that they were fighting for. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just got me that Macho Man forgot about the title that he helped make famous. Yeah. 
it encapsulates there the difference between how fans see wrestling and how wrestlers see wrestling, isn't doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> the the belt is it's not, not obviously not meaningless to uh, to Macho Man, but at this point, how many belts has he held? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. But I, I didn't even know that headlock on hunger show happened. So it was uh, it was intriguing to see that. I wonder if that was taped anywhere. It's interesting though because that this. Headlock on Hunger Show is after Ric Flair loses his Loser Leave Town match on Raw Episode 3. And they still have him on the show because he loses that. But then they still have him working house shows for about um, a month before he actually leaves. So it's not on TV or anything. But, yeah. So it must have been weird going to a live event, having seen him um, kicked out unceremoniously on the episode of Raw. And then, are we (laughs) easier? Loser leaves town after you fulfil your date. Yeah. Yeah, well. So we get that little plug, and then uh, we've got uh, Tatanka Pro. Uh, oh, no, sorry, this was part of it, wasn't it? The, uh, the tank, uh, Tatanka promo. He just uh, cuts a little promo about the headlock on hunger. And then we're into an intercontinental title match. Shawn Michaels versus Max Moon. And I don't know if it was just the uh, the playback, but did something go wrong with Max Moon's music? Ooh, don't know. Didn't pick up anything on that. Because I didn't hear the music. I just saw the streamers coming out, and then I was yeah. already out. Yeah, yeah. It was again. I think it's like like Graham said. It was maybe just one of those uh, one of those live event hiccups that uh, that, that were going to iron out. Um, we get Shawn Michaels out next, and it, I always find it really jarring because I don't. I, I know I was watching wrestling on and off at this point because I was about just about four, and I'd started watching wrestling the year before. But I don't remember Sean having this version of the music uh, that's uh, the sung that's sung by Sherry. Oh no, I do. Yeah, they they had that right at the start when Sherry was his manager. Oh yeah, I've seen it before, but just every time I hear it now, it just jars me. But you can't deny how over Sean Michaels was mm-hmm. um, as he was coming to the ring. I, I got a kick out of seeing the uh, the old style like big chunky cameras. I kind of miss him to be honest. <laughs> I like that kind of camera, but this was actually. Uh, a pretty bloody good match uh, for my money. It was a lot better than I, than I expected it to be, because even though I know you know Max Moon's played by uh, at this point played by Paul Diamond, who's who's decent in the ring. I believe we saw him in our first episode of season two, didn't we, Rob? Yeah, in the AWA. Um, I think Steve O'Buckered him better. He did. <laughs> he did. I, I can't believe you've jumped straight to the match without what Rob Bartlett said uh, before the match started. I. I given up listening to him by this point. He said, don't forget, folks, WWF's version of the Amy Fisher story, Pin Me, starring sensational Sherry as Amy, who the papers described as the Long Island leader, Vince McMahon as Joey Buttafuoco, and Bobby Heenan as Mary Jo. So um, Joey Buttafuoco, I think he'd been 34, 35, and he was sleeping with 16-17-year-old oh. um, Amy Fisher. Amy Fisher ends up shooting his wife, and injuring her. Um, it was worldwide news at the time. I mean, I can remember, you know, that this being, you know, sort of in the headlines at the time. Jesus. But yeah, I mean, uh, she went to prison for seven years. Um, I think she was sentenced for seven years. I think uh, Joy Butterfuka was uh, sentenced to six months in prison for sex with a minor because it's below the age of consent in New York. Yeah, I mean, there's being edgy, there's being relevant to stuff that's happening in the news at the time. 
But why the fuck would you want to associate your product with dice? Jesus Christ, I didn't even register any of that. Fuck me. There was a couple of moments like that. There was one right at the end of the show as well where they were previewing what was coming up and it was like, next week, Woody Allen versus Mio Farrow in a steel cage match. And I was like, what? Yeah. Obviously, that was a, one of the topical stories at the time because um, I didn't realize, um, I went back and looked at this because I was like, okay, let me go back and look at that story. Because I remember Sun Yi. I remember that story. It was his stepdaughter. I think that was who it yeah, was. And Mia, Mia Fattles. Mia, yeah, um, Mia Fattles. Was it, was it Andre Previn's daughter and... I don't know if Mia Farrow was, uh, yeah. That would make sense with that last name. I didn't actually remember the end of that story, actually. I didn't realize that he actually married her. They've been together. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's Gavin Gears. I did not remember that part. All I remember is the controversy. And the other thing that, I am old anyway, but the thing that made me feel even older was, uh, son, he's 51 years old now. I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm still thinking of somebody who's basically essentially a minor. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm a little older. But there was, yeah, there was definitely references in there to things that were currently going on in um, American news stories and trying to tie them together. Um, How successfully it worked, I didn't really think it did. Like, as soon as you saw it, it was like, well, obviously, he's not facing Mia Farrow in a steel cage match. I'm just wondering if that was like his suggestion of comedy. But the fact that produced a graphic for it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he actually says during this match, uh, and um, remember, folks, uh, the main event is Mayor David Dick, um, Dickens versus Cardinal O'Connor. So, saying the current mayor of New York versus the head of the Catholic Church. You know, it's like. <laughs> <sighs> Fucking hell. I'm glad I missed some of these. <laughs> references i thought i thought there was enough bad stuff just from what i caught and um yeah i'm glad i missed the well, rest of it jeez do you know what let's just let's just rip off let's just rip off the other band-aid while we're going <laughs> for it uh because we get an extended extended impression by rob bartlett of mike tyson um we get a, a vince actually drops the line in about my about uh jack tunney trying to pardon mike tyson i think it was and then yeah, Bartlett starts doing the impression. You have to say, pardon Mike Tyson for what? He was in prison for well, six I was coming, years. I was, I, was coming, I was coming to that. Ty, Tyson is, at this point, is less than a year into his prison sentence for rape. He was put into prison, he was in prison in April 1992, and this is January 93. He's done 11 months of a six-year sentence. And it, there's, there's low-hanging fruit. This isn't even low-hanging fruit. This is fruit that's been through somebody's digestive system flushed and he's in a fucking sewage tank all three of them were were awful during this randy savage said he used to have fun on dates but now you're making license plates the commentary in this match was fucking sickening mm. yeah it was it's disgusting it, wow. it's, it's probably the worst thing i've ever heard the making the making the making light of rape the mm trying to say that the perpetrator should be pardoned, essentially. Yeah. Well, Randy Savage says, you know, talk about Raw. You got a Raw deal and you're not where you are now. Oh. It makes you... It makes your skin crawl. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'll be I I didn't register a lot of this because, like I said, I was tuning the commentary out at this point because it was so, so bad, but it was... Well, I can't really say much more than I said. It was fucking horrendous, yeah. and it was just the it was just the crowning turd on this complete cake made of shit that was the commentary during during this match, which is a real shame because the match itself is pretty bloody good. 
it's been especially in terms of what we've seen so far. We've had two squash matches, and now we get to see some actual wrestling. It feels a bit, it feels a bit off going into praising a wrestling match after we've just talked about the commentary. But we kind of have to because in this segment, the wrestling was the bit that was the actual pleasant experience, at yeah. least for my money, anyway. I don't know if a lot of that would have just washed over an audience in um, in the 90s, you know, or, or if they just tuned it out. You know, I mean, we, we've talked about commentary that we could be far with Jerry Laurel mentioning Jeffrey Dahmer and stuff and just weird stuff that seems to be put in, you know, for, for no reason, you know, just verbal diarrhea. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you could get past the commentary, which you shouldn't be, you should be, you know, sending a letter to Ofcom or whatever, the match was... Probably the best match on the card without spoilers for later. Yeah. Now I feel embarrassed. That I probably didn't pay enough attention then because I don't remember anything about this match at all. This has no memories for me. I remember that. I remember all the stuff you talked about with when Sean came out and like the cameras and I was watching the reactions to Sean. But the actual match itself, I have no memory. All the other matches, I can pick up like off the top of my head. I can remember stuff without looking at my notes. But this one, I don't remember anything. I didn't actually write anything down for this one. Compared to the other ones, in terms of squash matches, sure, it's a different style of wrestling. I understand that. But in terms of watching it, like, nothing really... Perhaps I'm viewing it by today's standards. Compared to the matches that I watch currently, there was nothing there that kind of caught my eye. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, whoa, let me just sit up in my seat a little bit more. <laughs> let me just go ahead. No, nothing kind of got me on that. I, I was drifting. I, I'll admit, I was looking at my phone at the same time. But that, that was where I was at at that point. And um, yeah, the commentary we already talked about was just damn awful at this point. It's like, okay, I don't need to listen to them anymore. So I might have even turned that down to silence at this point as well. So I'll sometimes do that if I'm multitasking. I was like, hey, I can listen to a song rather than listen to you guys talking nonsense. But yeah, nothing nothing caught my eye on this one at all, which is bad. I, I'm not a big Shawn Michaels fan, though, either. The only thing that I was more interested in was having not watched wrestling as much as you guys have. Um, I'm more familiar with Shawn Michaels from the early 2000s, so I, I was kind of interested to see what he was like from nearly ten, nearly a decade previous to that. That that was kind of where my interest was from. But yeah, the, everyone was swooning over him. But yeah, the match itself didn't resonate with me at all. Um, There's my hot take. Well, <laughs> yes, yeah, but, yeah. it is a very different, I guess, style as well as you know. It's certainly not as flashy as something we'd get even on Raw these days, let alone. Uh, AEW were on the Indies. There was one line in commentary that did make me giggle, though, because when they came back from the break, Rob Bartlett said, you missed it during the, drip of the break, folks. Shawn Michaels pulled a knife, and um, that made me think of Tank Abbott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he pulled the knife on Big Al. Oh, oh you know, the, uh, Andrade in his match against Cody on, uh, on Dynamite. Did that happen? He, no, he he, uh, he teased he had a knife. He had like a briefcase with a knife in. It showed the crowd before the match, and then he never used it. Which, you know, why bring a knife to a no rules uh, match and leave it in your briefcase? It's a fair question. <laughs> but yeah, this match was uh, there were there were bits there were bits in this match. I think one of the reasons I liked it is because this was sort of the closest thing you'd get in WWF looking back to. What would become the WCW Cruiserweight division? It so you know had those flurries of offense and there was things. Now Graham said it. I know it was the best match on the card, but I can't sort of point to any one spot. It's just the fact that it went more than two minutes and there was some good. There was some flurries of decent back and forth. Yeah, um, it was the only match that wasn't a squash match, really, wasn't it? Yeah, essentially. And then, again, just because I'm 
a child, it made me laugh when uh, when Max Moon went for the. Uh, it was like a sort of seated sense on from the apron, and it just looked like a flying dick to mouth. <laughs> I can't. I can't help it. So I, easy I, to book for, Dan. <laughs> I wa- literally. I watched. <laughs> I'll be honest, right? I didn't mention this earlier, but I, I was basically housebound for four days with a bad back. I've been taking an abundance of painkillers and anti-inflammatories just to get through the day. <laughs> I I was not necessarily in my right mind while watching this show. <laughs> and now I've added alcohol to the mix, so you know I'm uh, I'm I'm loving life right now. <laughs> How do you like an atomic drop? Is that one of the things you like watching as well? I like watching Rick Rude sell atomic drops. <laughs> that's always a laugh. I love that Twitter account that's just dedicated to Rick Rude selling atomic drops. <laughs> uh, Shattered Dreams was always my favourite finisher when I was a kid as well, even though I didn't really care for gold dust. Just a rare occasion he hit Shattered Dreams. I was all over that because it was just a running kick to the spuds while the guy was in the corner. <laughs> Quality technical wrestling. Oh, yeah. Pure rules. The least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I I, I absolutely, like just recently, uh, Jonathan Gresham's been in uh, Impact defending the Ring of Honor title under pure rules. Absolutely love those matches. All of that. But give me some silliness. Give me a swift kick. Have a little bit of everything. I love watching Jonathan Gresham, but I love watching Orange Cassidy as well. I, I, I like that contrast between you. Got to it makes each one look even better because they're so far yeah. apart from each other. So my favorite moment in AEW, I think it's probably my favorite moment, is when Sting and Orange Cassidy were just facing off at ringside, and they were just both doing the the little kicks and whatnot, yeah. and then Sting just did the half-ass chest beat. That. Just I was. Uh, <laughs> I, I still love it. I still love it. Um, but yeah, we, we've veered off the topic anyway because uh, that's what we do on this show. All right, so let me get totally off topic then. So I thought I figured one of the reasons you asked me that on this show was because it was Max Moon, and uh, we have a connection with Moon because one of your shows you talked about um, the WCW event that was held at the Neil Armstrong. Moon Museum or Space Museum or whatever the title was. And I was happened to be in Ohio at the time and you guys got like, oh, it's in Ohio. I was like, I didn't even know about this. So I looked it up and it was it was about two hours from my in-laws. So I was like, well, I'm not just gonna go just for that, but if there's anything else comes up. And um sure enough, this Christmas, trying to find something for my son as a present. I'm trying to get away from traditional presents. I'm trying to get more experiences now. So um, he's a Baltimore Ravens fan, because that's one of our local teams. And they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. So took him down for that. Um, Took my youngest son as well, because it was his first NFL game. And on the way back, though, it's perfect. So you drive down to Cincinnati. But on the way back, you get to see a few different museums. The uh, I think it's the National Air Force Museum was one of them, which is freaking huge i thought we might be there for about 30 minutes to an hour and i was like the boys will be done we were there three hours and we we ran out of time in the end and then we did we went up to the neil armstrong museum um the person who was checking us in was really really nice told us a few stories hey go check out this 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 and this and um, as we came back through the gift shop on the second loop i mentioned the fact that hey i'm here today because Dan and Rob, they have a podcast. They mentioned that there was a, a WCW event here. Told them the exact date, what it was, because I'd already looked it up. No recognition. <laughs> they, had, they had no recognition at all. And as I was walking around the museum, I was like, 
where the heck is this? Like, there was nowhere in that museum that that could have been filmed. So that must just have been like a backdrop or something. They, unless they set something up outside and then filmed it so it looked like it was inside. I have no idea. Unless it was filmed from the school itself. Um, the museum was cool. The museum was cool. But yeah, yeah, that guy had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, oh, God, I've just embarrassed myself right now. But that oh, we was appreciate the, it. <laughs> that might be the only reason why I, I stopped because uh, I looked at the match. I was like, "Well, you're obviously going to talk about the match." So I saw his name was Moon, and then I went off on a tangent. And I was like, "Well, I need to talk about. I need to talk about the Neil Armstrong Space Museum. I wish I could remember the place name. It's really long. It's got like Swap fifteen letters." There you go. I was going to look it up ahead of time, and then I was like, yeah. And I can't pronounce it right anyway because I mentioned it to my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, it's not pronounced like that." And then she read what it was. I was like, yeah. So that's my <laughs> contribution to Max Moon. Well, the thing is, Graham, I actually asked you one before I had any idea what we'd be covering. So this was just a happy coincidence. <laughs> I love those coincidences, though. I, that's why I enjoy reviewing with my son. Like, we'll just watch something and then it'll be like, oh, that's really interesting. And then I'll just go off and I'll just find other things. The, the things that you would never search for if you were just randomly searching. Um, you need something as that framework to start with, and then you can go off from there and you find, for me personally, I think you find some of the more interesting things. So, um, yeah, thanks for making uh, the Christmas break uh, exciting, guys. That was, a, that was a nice stop on the way back. That was really cool that you actually went. It was it was like one of those unexpected outcomes of, uh, of doing a podcast. It was brilliant. I'm glad you had a nice time, even if you think, <laughs> even if you, think you made a tit of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, he couldn't have had less of a clue what I was talking about. Just, was kind of, just... It was a shame. There was nobody else there. Because it was almost like, um, can I like talk to your boss or somebody? Can I talk to somebody <laughs> who's been here for longer than you? Um, I really wanted to find out more stuff so I could share with you. But yeah, I didn't get any any juicy bits of gossip at all, unfortunately. I've got a great uh, image it was of... a long time ago. It was probably <laughs> 25 years, I think. I was going to say, I've got a great image of you, Graham, just talking about all this WCW stuff to this to some kid who like does this as like a weekend job <laughs> who, who wasn't even born when the event took place. Oh no, it was the opposite. This guy was in his, uh, I would guess late sixties, early seventies. Oh, right. So it's possible at that time he could have had a son who was playing on that football team. I think it was the football team yeah. or he could have had a daughter who was one of the cheerleaders at that event. But yeah, <laughs> no, it obviously wasn't. So he could have, he could have just moved into the area since, and that might be why he didn't know about it. But if he's, I was if he's hoping in his 60s. to do some, I was if hoping any... to chat with somebody about it, but no, nah, didn't get anything. If he's in his 60s, he's prime wrestling demo age. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. he means it to be believed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've, we've had the, uh, the Michaels-Max uh, Moon match. Uh, in a shock to nobody, uh, Michaels wins. But not in the way you'd expect, because we see Shawn Michaels hit, uh, hit what they call, was it uh, the Savant Crescent kick? They called it something like it. Yes, the Savat kick is what they called it at the time. That that was only a signature and setting up for the side suplex. Yeah, pre uh, pre switching music, Shawn Michaels, and uh, retains his IC title because he's got a match coming up with uh, with Marty Jannetty. <laughs> mm. But uh, we've uh, we've already gone into uh, <laughs> got, got into enough criminality on this show, so we won't talk anymore about Jannetty. Marty Jannetty was the least worrying reference on this show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean that is how bad this show was oh, yeah dear. oh god when you put it like that it's terrible it's even worse isn't it yeah we get a uh, we get an advert for WWF Mania which is the uh, the Saturday morning show because WWF have, have just proved during this last match that you can trust us 
for, for your kids' entertainment. You know, this is the kind of entertainment we provide. Plonky kids in front of it, they'll be fine. <laughs> Come listen to our opinions on how a rapist got a raw deal. Trust us with your children. Fucking Nora. Oh, I really do despair. Damn it, damn it, early 90s. What the hell? So we get that done, and then uh, I feel like we need to take a drink, Rob, because uh, we go to Mean Gene Oakland for the Royal Rumble Report, and it's a bit like cutting to uh, cutting to a studio, so... Drink. This, you can have a swig, you can have a swig too if you want, Graham, or I didn't mean to leave you out. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. Keep going, keep going. This took up 15% of the show, this uh, Royal Rumble segment. <laughs> Again, though, there was decent graphics for the time for the Royal Rumble report sponsored by Icapro. Uh, the two weeks away from the Rumble, Mean Jeans, they're running down the date and time, running down the uh, the HBK Genetti match and Sherry's at ringside, but who will be she be there for? Uh, we get promos from both Sean and Marty. Basically, Sean saying that Sherry will be in his corner because... Because he's Shawn Michaels, essentially, playing the uh, the over. I was going to say overconfident, but he's just playing arrogant, uh, arrogant douchebag. Jeanette is calling the Rumble Marty Jeanette Day, which I don't know where that is in relation to Rusev Day, but I'm sure it's infinitely worse. Uh, he's because uh, he's going to get what he's want, get what he wants. He's going to end Shawn's career and cast aspersions over Sherry's character, and then uh, we get we get so essentially just running down people who are entering the Rumble interspersed with promos. So the confirmed flair to Tanker, IRS, Backland, Lawler, perfect. And then we get a perfect promo, which is your your generic I'm gonna win the rumble promo. Then we get another rundown, uh ends with Yoko Zuna, we get a Fuji promo. Basically just hyping the hyping Yoko's size. Then it's Macho, Shango Earthquake, Undertaker, the uh, the spring chicken Carlos Cologne. As we found out on that nineties wrestling podcast, I don't know if you ever heard that, Graham. But they uh, they spent the whole of the I think it was it the nineteen ninety three Rumble uh, saying that Bob Backlund was too old, and Carlos Colon was really young, despite the fact he was like three years older than Bob Backlund. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was amusing. Uh, then we get a Jim Duggan promo as well, which is just typical Jim Duggan. I don't. I still, I'm still not sure how Jim Duggan, uh, Duggan manages to sucker people in, but he does. And I fall for it as well. Even when he says he'll give it 110% tough guy, which uh, it just made... Oh, what's his name on NWA at the minute? Well, Jim Duggan was at, in, uh, at Wapakoneta for uh, the Nitro party, wasn't he? He was. Mean Gene and the Nitro girls. <laughs> but yeah, this was essentially just an, an extended hype package for the Rumble. It was, it was time filler, but it... It went along at a fair clip, and we didn't have to listen to any god-awful commentary, so that's always a bonus. And then we get the third instalment of Bobby Heenan trying to get into the building. There are, there are already people outside queuing for tickets for next week's Raw, and uh, a man bungles past who is dressed in... I really hope I'm getting this right, but he's dressed in sort of traditional Jewish attire. Sean Mooney stops this uh, mysterious gentleman and asks him about buying tickets. The man says he's got to get in to see Ron Bartlett. He's his uncle Marty, and, uh, and Ron Bartlett needs him. Uh, Mooney drops and drops a nice line and said, "I think I saw your wife earlier." And as the uh, as the man turns away and then turns back, Mooney pulls off the beard and it's Heenan again, naturally. Uh, so we get more of Heenan protesting and suggesting that he could find a way in on the move on the on the roof on the roof. 
And we also get informed that the next two consecutive Mondays are in the same venue, which uh, did they do the next two live, Rob, or did they, uh, did they tape it all at once? They did the next one live, and then that was um, it. it was taped. Yeah, that was it. After that, we get a uh, just a recap package of Kamala turning on uh, Kim Chi, and uh, I think it's Harvey Whippleman, isn't it? It is, yeah. Still not 100% sure why that was there. Well, I think it was just promoting what had happened and um, saying he's going to be there next week because um, now he's going to be faced and he's got the Reverend Slick who's run down to uh, protect him. Oh, that was it. Yeah, fair enough. I, I wrote down the segment, just not the relevance, <laughs> <laughs> which I think I think I was uh, very much like Graham at this point. I was just uh, just starting to tune out, sadly. Uh, but next up, I'll be honest, it did get my attention. Well, two things got my attention. Uh, Damien Demento's haircut. And uh, the fact that Undertaker's in the match. Mm. Now, first thing that struck me was it was just bizarre hearing the gong and seeing Taker come out in a fully lit venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just it just doesn't work. And I I can't remember which WrestleMania it was the last time they were on the... Uh, I think it was when they were on the West Coast somewhere of America somewhere and Taker fought Bray Wyatt. Do you guys remember that? I do not. I think it was it was the same WrestleMania that had Sting versus Triple H. I remember Sting versus Triple H being in the light. I can't remember if Undertaker Bray Wyatt was in the light. It was either in, there was definitely still light about because there was there was no effects for Taker's entrance. They somehow on that on that WrestleMania they managed to have both Sting and Undertaker come out with entrances in the light. It was ridiculous. But yeah, we get an Undertaker match and. Uh, Good news, guys. We're back to the squash matches. <laughs> <laughs> My interest so, uh, peaked for a second. I was like, "Oh, Undertaker, an early Undertaker as well." And um, yeah, it it died back down again. But I was excited <laughs> for a, for a minute. Uh, the thing that got me more than anything was, and oh, and obviously just because it's filmed in nineteen, just how young he looked. It just didn't. It just didn't fit. Like my image of the Undertaker, and and then what I saw there, and it was like. No, that, that's not The Undertaker. That's not The Undertaker that I know and love. And that, that was kind of a little hard to uh, to grasp. But interesting from an historical point of view, for sure. Because, like I say, I did not watch wrestling during that era at all. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of Undertaker as well. He's had such a long career. He's He's been grizzled for longer than most people have wrestled. <laughs> uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get Undertaker up on my phone to find out how old he was, but my phone does not want to recognise... The Undertaker, the wrestler, and keeps diverting me to the Undertakers, who are some sort of band. Can I guess 25? Uh, I'm guessing 25. I don't, think, I don't think you'll be far wrong. Right. Fuck you, Apple. I've got the Undertaker's Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he was he was 28. Oh. 27. 20, 20, no, sorry, 27. He was just short of his 28th birthday. Um, he must be a little older than I thought, then. Yeah, not by much. You were you were in the ballpark, uh, but this was very much um, sort of early Undertaker with a couple of the greatest hits thrown in. We saw the you know we saw old school when it was still new school, which it kind of worried me because those ropes were really loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Did you see the bit right at the start where uh, Undertaker threw a punch and Damien Demento went down about a week before it should have connected? It was like, it reminded me of uh, Wing Commander Nash saying that he'd uh, seen Steve-O working out and if they were in a real fight, he'd have hit the floor before his fist had left his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) We 
which is Nash doing himself a disservice because I've seen that man on a punch bag and he absolutely demolished the thing. But and, no, I missed that spot, unfortunately. I don't, I'm going to have to go back and watch that because it's like the second or third time I've watched this show and I don't remember seeing that. Um, but again, it was a squash match. It was there to make Taker look dominant and, and that's how he looked. Damien Demento went down the first time you watched it and Undertaker didn't throw the, the punch until the third time. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only other sort of thing really of note is um, is Undertaker doing that flying clothesline that he I think he stopped doing about about five years before he retired. But it was very much he hit the flying clothesline. He drew power from the urn, tombstone, one, two, three, and then we get the hype uh, Vince hyping up the aforementioned cage match between uh, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow in all the infinite good taste. I looked up Damien Demento because it was somebody I wasn't familiar with, and I love just looking on Cage Match for stuff like that. Um, yeah. He wasn't around with WWE for much longer after that. I mean, he had 93 oh. matches with them between January 1st, 1993, and September 1993. So they used him a lot for those like first eight months of the year. And then his last match was against Bob Backlund in a house show. Um, he had a match against Doink because we already mentioned Doink earlier, in May 94. And then July 94 is pretty much when his career ended, except for a 14-year gap. And then he had two indie matches in 2008. I'm guessing just so you can kind of bring him back for the autographs and stuff like that. He probably didn't have any any sense of a real match. Um, I'm envisioning something like when I see Hacksaw Jim Duggan now in the ring. Like, it lists it as a match. He comes out with his two-by-four cheers and goes, oh, and then the baddies run away, and then he signs his autographs and goes. But, yeah, so he wasn't around for much longer um, after this event, for sure. We saw within the last five years, um, on Raw, they've had, you know, if they have, like, people qualifying for Survivor Series or whatever, they they normally have, like, the vacant person you know, the silhouette sort of thing. I'm sure they used a silhouette that everyone thought was Damien Demento's silhouette in one of the vacant <laughs> things, and everyone was going, it's Damien Demento. It's weird. Damien Demento's weird, a weird one, because I, he wasn't around for long, like you say, Greg, but he's stuck in my mind from seeing him when I was a kid. And it's because I, I had, like, the 1993 uh, Merlin sticker album. And he was, I think he was like one of the first few pages that I completed. Or I had, oh. you know, I had, I had his couple of stickers. So he stuck in my mind for so long, despite me pr- sort of seeing him wrestle maybe twice. Or just, or just on TV and only remembering like a couple of matches. But he had such a unique look with the with the outlandish sort of, you know, fur-lined sort of ring gear and all that and the stupid haircut. It's uh, a bit like how Papa Shango wasn't around for long. But a lot of people seem to remember it fondly. I look forward to seeing them on GCW, uh, to be honest, because they like bringing back uh, sort of lower mid-carders and sort of forgotten acts from the 80s and 90s, like, uh, you know, Barbarian, Warlord, Jeff Jarrett, you know, all those kind of guys who haven't really done much in wrestling. Ooh, that's that's a uh, a slight there, isn't it? <laughs> well, champion Jeff Jarrett hasn't done much in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm showing you bias there. <laughs> that was completely my intent. <laughs> I took that roundabout bullshit just to get a shot in at Jarrett that he'll never listen to, and I would never say it to his face because even at however old he is now, well into his fifties, he'd still kick the shit out of me because I'm a gobshite puddy. <laughs> I just had to address the balance there, so people expect me to fully, uh, fully shit out if I'm ever in the same room as Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> So this is another one of these sort of early shows where we saw this a lot in season one of UTT where 
they've kind of got a natural jumping off point where the main event's finished. They've give they've given us something that is allegedly going to happen next week, but then the show just carries on. And yeah, we've seen Doink, but then we get a full on a full sort of promo uh, for Doink and, and giving a bit of his character, and then we get Crush coming out with little to no expect uh, explanation of, of who he is. And yeah, it was just a bit of an odd way to end the show. I'm assuming you'd fully checked out by this point, Graham. Well, I was actually interested in Doink because I'd actually before I actually watched the event, I actually kind of read the backstory just to find out a little bit more. And um, when I saw Doink was going to get interviewed, I actually that was actually I was like, oh, okay. Seems the wrestling's not up to much. Um, the promos might oh. be the thing that is actually. So no, I actually did check back in for this point because I knew it was coming. Oh, cool. Uh, what did you reckon to it then? Uh, were you happy with what you saw? Were you? I was okay with it. it. It did what it needed to do. It was a, it was a first show. I it, I thought it was fine. It's not that it's not going to go down in the annals or anything, but it, it was fine compared to some of the stuff I'd seen in the show. And yeah, it would be one of the things that stood out more than perhaps some of the other things. If we were still doing the uh, the five factors from uh, from season one, <laughs> this would have been one of your uh, your sort of mildly positive ones. Some of my, I say, well, you know, from you know from my own show, some of my things that I consider good don't necessarily meet with what other people would traditionally consider good, and and vice versa. Some of the things that I consider bad. So, um, I know that I'm often I'm on the I don't definitely I definitely don't have my finger on the pulse of uh, what everybody else like, but that that's fine. I, I like what I like, and I don't like what I like, but um, and that's yeah. why wrestling that's why wrestling is great. It's one of Rob Rob's sayings on here, and I've adopted it wrestling's a buffet we we all like what we like and the beauty of this show is getting different people on getting the perspectives mm. it doesn't matter if we agree or not mm. it's uh and you know this this was it was weird to me a little bit i don't know i've never really heard much of crush talking i think that's my problem so when he kept dropping the bra in and things like that it just it somehow didn't seem natural even though i'm pretty sure he's actually from hawaii oh, it felt like a very fake accent I put it felt like a fake accent. I don't. He seemed to be really overegging the cake. If that, if he, if he is from there, but I, I didn't mind the rivalry per se. You know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, the new generation. This is kind of what you expect from this era, isn't it? Uh, outlandish characters. Uh, I quite like the idea of Doink. I think, in theory, Hawaiian Crush is the best Crush. Yeah, so, uh, he was he was you know. born he was born on uh, in Kona, Hawaii. So there we go. But yeah, plus to be fair with Crush as well. One thing that we always like on this show, you know, you're guaranteed a glorious mullet. <laughs> 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 I, did, I did like um, I did like one thing Crush said when he says, uh, "Before I put this size 14 shoe in your size 20 mouth, you better look over both shoulders." I don't know why it sounded all right initially, but then you start thinking about it. It's like, well, if his mouth size 20 and his foot size 14, it, it should fit quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not going to call You'll have a bit of room to spare. You know, or well, I'm just reading, oh, 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 am I just reading too much into it? It's like putting your head in a lion's mouth, isn't it? Sort of thing. He's just going to put it in there and then take it out. <laughs> <laughs> but we get, after the sort of confrontation, we get Crush chasing Doink around the ring. And Doink, we end up with Crush in the ring while Doink's playing, you know, doing the whole dead beetle routine outside and just generally generally taking the piss. Then we get a final cut to the exterior of the building. Heaton's still trying to get in. And Sean Mooney, being the exquisite piss taker that he is, tells Heenan that he can finally go up. 
because the show's finished, but Heenan doesn't know. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the end of the show. It was uh, I, I get the, from what we've uh, from what we've said so far that was certainly something that happened. <laughs> I didn't realise uh, before I started watching either that Raw was only uh, one hour initially as well. Obviously now we're used to the fact that it's three hours and it was two hours. I didn't realise it was ever just one hour, and I was like, oh, this will be a breeze with it just being an hour, and <laughs> it was hard work. Times I was like, oh my gosh, this is only an hour, and I'm like struggling. Like, I was like, I'm not gonna need my phone. Like, I can I can focus for an hour, and yeah, no, I couldn't even focus for an hour. I can't and wait to get to your rating. <laughs> it, it's amazing though, in the current product, how much they stretch things out. The, the basically, I mean, this week's raw, the first hour was basically taken up by the same segment, either being in promo in match, you know, and you've got. A lot of stuff happening on this show in comparison to what would happen in an hour of Raw these days. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to say, I, I watched the uh, seven minutes of the top ten highlights from Raw <laughs> just so I can get a, a feel of what happened, and that and that's more than sufficient for me. I, I can't do a three-hour show. I, I read the results while I'm on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah, that, that does the same thing. Yeah, normally what I see on social media is kind of enough. If something catches my eye, I'll go and look at a, a specific clip. But uh, yeah, I can't be doing with it. I can't do a three-hour show. No, unless it's a pay-per-view. Unless it's something I particularly want yeah. to see, like a like oh, sorry, premium live event. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's something like the Rumble or WrestleMania yeah. or or um, Wrestle Kingdom, mm-hmm. something like that. I'll watch it then if it's three hours plus, because it's it's a once a year thing. No matter how checked out I am in of WWE, I will make a point of watching the Rumble and Mania. Yeah, but three hours a week every Monday? Oh, no, thank you. The thing that's made me even worse is because I'll do the same thing. Like I'll watch the pay per view. They tell you the whole backstory, so you get the whole backstory in the first five minutes before they even enter the ring. So I don't have to watch for the previous five weeks. I know it. They've told me the storyline. They've given me the hi- that's all I need. I need the highlights so I know why they're in the ring fighting each other, and then I can watch that match. Um, so now I've got even worse with regards to watching it because I'm like I don't have to watch it. If I don't watch it, I still know what what's going on at the pay per view because they've just told me right in those clips right there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird because I actually watched day one mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it. Yeah. I watched I the Rumble. I was sort of disappointed with the men's Rumble, but overall, I enjoyed the show. You've got to remember, it went on until 5 a.m. It went on until 5 a.m. And I, we'd been recording on the Friday night before that. So I was. I, I got I got tanked the day before, so I was hungover. <laughs> I was hungover. I started drinking again, and it was going on till five a.m. <laughs> so lack of sleep, uh, drunkenness. That, that might have been the perfect combo to watch that to watch that event. Hey, it made me enjoy the first. It made me enjoy the first night of NXT UK. I attended the second night sober with Rob, and it was fucking turgid. <laughs> it was just so... <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Oh, I paid for it, so I wasn't not going to go. <laughs> I've completely forgotten my train of thought with this. has got sidetracked. Oh, we're talking, you, we're so talking you're about looking forward to hearing my ratings in a second. No, well, well, I think we've got a couple of bits first. <laughs> so in terms of adverts that were on the show, it was mainly just adverts for the WWF. Advert for the Royal Rumble that lasted forever. Advert for Ica Pro with the catchphrase, let's face it, you got to want it. And probably a little asterisk saying, uh, and take a lot of steroids. Um, 
let's face it, you've got to want it, asterisk, it being steroids. Yeah. Advert for the WWF headlock on uh, Hunger House show that they were having in conjunction with the Red Cross. Uh, as we said, the advert for WWF Mania. Uh, there's an advert for WWF All-American Wrestling. Was that? Which was another, yeah, another show that they had going on at the time. Advert for the tickets they were selling uh, next week. And there was an advert, if you wanted to get more Rob Bartlett, you could listen to him on WFAM radio. Uh, good. I'd rather shit in my hands and clap. <laughs> so in terms of adverts we've had for the show Scary Scar Gaming at Scary Scar G was putting our logo on his um, Twitch stream so thank you very much for that Craig Graham at uh, Good Cop Bad Cop um, Wrestling uh, Podcast um, never, heard said that, never heard of him said that he realised he hadn't watched the show in ages so he'd sent uh, so he'd yeah, had a, a binge session we're like Netflix now Dan <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> oh, he was only doing that because he knew he was coming on. He just sacked us off otherwise. No, you, you have included us in some quality tweets this week, actually, Graham. The um, the world's largest box of beer <laughs> oh, <laughs> with the yes. woman stood next to it for a size. <laughs> it's like over three thousand cans or something. It's like four and a half thousand dollars or something. It doesn't seem normally when you buy in bulk, you get a better deal. I don't think you do for that. I think it's just so literally you can put it in your house and show off. That's the only well, reason. For... I, I, I also wouldn't class that as buying in bulk. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's Budweiser as well. So it's not. Even... <laughs> I'd rather buy. I'd rather buy bottled water. <laughs> That's pretty much the same thing. Water has more alcohol content. <laughs> Chris Bellis at Real Chris Bellis said another wonderful episode from my pod parents at UTT podcast. Looking at the first episode of ECW Hardcore TV, and it was uh, he had a great affection for the original ECW and the build to uh, Funk versus Gilbert. Fair enough. I, I wish I could say I've been back and watched more ECW, but I don't have the time. <laughs> But thank you very much, Chris. And as I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it, I will never get used to you calling me and Rob Daddy Dan and Daddy Rob. <laughs> Danny, our Scottish juggalo, was uh, very happy that we'd discussed vanilla slices from GT Smiths. Um, <laughs> yeah. He also um, was uh, enjoyed uh, Funk on commentary in the uh, redacted match that we had on uh, ECW. Yeah. Yeah, less said about that guy, the better. We don't need to give him any more publicity. Well, I mean, talking about the ECW episode, Lee Conway at LDCon71 said it was great to uh, sit down and uh, go through ECW with us. Yeah, it was great to have Lee on, and uh, we will get him back, and he may become our ECW correspondent. Tack at Tack Brown said he was more than happy to dress up as a blue smurf for future recordings. Yeah, I think he said that. I've listened back to the episode and I'm still not entirely sure what he was on about. <laughs> we were talking about the Blue World Order and uh, you were saying about uh, Tack blowing up for... <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, now I remember. God, even I don't pay attention to me. How does anybody else do it? <laughs> <laughs> and Mags at Podfather Mags posted the video that uh, we'd got for Andy Payton wishing him luck for when he appeared on the show. Yeah. <laughs> that's still that's still probably the best thing you've ever, best thing this podcast has ever done. But I say this podcast, it was all Rob. <laughs> Absolutely love that video. And I'm glad Mags liked it too. 
so that was some uh, that was some great ads for the show. So we're going to go on to the awards section of the show. So Graham, first up, who would you give your match of the night to? Oh, you switched the order on me. All right, the uh, match of the night. Then I went with uh, the first one. I went with uh, Coco and Yokozuna. Um, it was the one I was most invested in. I was like happy to see the big guy, and um, I, I got to kind of leave it a little bit at that because I'm going to mention more about uh, Yokozuna in a little bit. Fair enough, Rob. Excellent. Well, I'm, I mean, it, realistically, uh, I'd probably have to give it to Bobby Heenan versus Sean Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. If you put a gun to my head and made me uh, um, give it to one on the card, I guess it would have to be uh, Max Moon versus HBK. But yeah, there's a big old asterisk next to that one. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite slim pickings. I've given it to uh, Shawn Michaels versus Max Moon as well. There was nothing necessarily wrong with the squash matches, but it's not anything I could give match of the night to. So it sort of wins by default for me. Next award is MVP of the night. So, Graham, who's your MVP of the night? Well, I was worried that this would get spoiled earlier, but it didn't come up. So, my MVP, probably surprisingly, is uh, Damien Demento. Now, the reason he's my MVP is, I was wondering if you'd mention this at the start, there was actually a couple of dark matches. So, one of them was the Cheetah Kid uh, defeating Johnny Rotten, and the other one was Bob Backlund defeats... Damien Demento. So he actually did double duty on this. He had a match against Bob Backlund. He had a match against Taker. So the fact that he did double duty, um, I'm giving my MVP to Damien Demento. Although we have seen some Bob Backlund matches, and sometimes he falls asleep outside the ring for 40 minutes to uh, get it up to an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> Was that the 92 Rumble? Or 92? Uh, 93 Rumble. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does have a kip, doesn't he? He was, uh, he was laying the framework for that one rumble where fans accused Roman Reigns of sleeping. I thought you were going to say he's lay, laying the framework for Wendy Chu in uh, NXT 2.0, where she's there with a onesie and a pillow coming to ring. I've only just got to the first uh, first NXT takeover in my watch back of NXT. <laughs> I'm not due to watch it for another ten years just to stay on brand. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, who was your MVP of the night? Uh, Bobby Heenan. It's got to be. I mean, they're, they're trying to shuffle him away from the product to be new and fresh, and, uh, you know, he, he goes over to Nitro and makes it look a million dollars, so they should have kept him. So you're giving Bobby Heenan the MVP because of the work he did on Nitro? No, no, I'm giving Bobby Heenan the MVP <laughs> of, the work of this show, and I think it was the wrong decision to try and replace Well, regardless of who they replaced him with, it was the wrong decision to try and replace him because he was still great at the job, but the fact they replaced him with Rob Bartlett, I mean, Jesus Christ. Facetiousness aside, you are absolutely right. Heenan was just a master. I mentioned earlier that I'm a massive Heenan, Mark. I won't be the only one out there. You are right when you say he went across to WCW and made that show, uh, made Nitro as well, and, and Thunder, the bits and pieces we've seen on uh, Booking yeah. the Territory. He was brilliant, and that's why the hive mind's at it again, and I've given Heenan my MVP as well. Um, he had the three uh, three segments outside. He had the promo. He was he was the most sort of prominent prominent star on the show, really. So next up is uh, moments of the night. So Graham, what was your moment of the night, and why is it the end of the sh- why is it when the show faded to black? 
<laughs> well, that was that was the first choice. Um, I had to I had to stay quiet when you were very excited about one thing. Uh, my moment of the night was uh, Coco having to take the weight of Yokozuna. Like, oh my gosh! Like he suffered <laughs> some serious punishment in that, and then it was like, oh, he's got to take another one of these. <laughs> you can't just finish him off quickly. But yeah, I'm not sure how long it was, but even if it would have been a fraction of a second, that's a lot of weight to take on your chest. And yeah. It, it still looks, that's the thing that still looks impressive. A lot of stuff on this show looked dated, and it's like, I'm not impressed by this anymore compared to what I'm seeing. Seeing that amount of weight on one guy's chest is still, like, I don't understand that. I, I can't yeah. comprehend how they can do that and not die, essentially. I'm, I'm, a very, I'm a very large man by most people's metrics. Yokozuna has at least another fully grown man in terms of weight on me. And that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just nuts. So yeah, completely get that. Rob, what's your moment of the uh, moment of the night? It's actually so just after the theme music ends, it's like that shot inside the venue where the searchlights are going through the crowd and the music's playing and you know the crowd are making a bit of noise. And it, it was a real change from the previous way that we'd seen the World Wrestling Federation produced. It's this smaller, more intimate venue. It felt, you know, grittier than what we'd seen before. So that first visual kind of sold on what the whole ethos of Raw was about. It went downhill pretty soon after that. But in, in that one thing, that's how it encapsulated the feel that they were going for. Yeah, no, I get that. get that as well. I've gone in a similar vein to Graham. My moment of the night is, although it's, it's technically a cheat, my moment of the night is the imaginary fart on uh, Coco Beware's chest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if, if, you know, if I'm picking a genuine one, uh, it's Bobby Heenan uh, offering Sean Mooney fifty dollars to uh, to get him into uh, to get him into Raw because it's it's one of those little touches that Heenan didn't have to throw in. You know, it didn't have to be there. It was fading to black. The shot was done. The, the skit was done. But it just made it that much better. And it was sort of completely believable to Heenan's character that he'd be trying this shit in the first place, but then to resort to bribery so quickly. <laughs> Very much a nice little touch that I really appreciated. So next award is, uh, is Sign of the Night. Uh, Graham, did you spot any signs in the crowd? It was difficult. Like sometimes you can, there's, there's hundreds and you can see them easier and you got to pick mm. a choice. I, I didn't really see any until the end. And it's not for really what was written on the sign. It was just for the creation of the sign itself. It was from the Undertaker match. It just said rest in peace on it. That, that was it. But it was that old printer paper that kind of concertinas. I can see the little circles along the side of the paper. <laughs> yeah. It just took me back 30 years. Uh, like normally now, if you make it, if I said to my sons, do you want to make a sign for a wrestling match? They're going to go and get a poster board. They're going to get something that's cardboard. It's a little bit more sturdy and they just literally had paper <laughs> and it was so <laughs> flimsy but they had to stretch it out to make sure it got and uh for that alone it was like oh my gosh yeah this really dates it like when you talk about the chunky cameras that was one of those things yeah. where that kind of dates it as well but that printer paper for that for me it was that it, just the quality of the paper that that was that they'd got it and they, they had, it was a long sign it stretched about six or seven pl- uh, people long so it was a good length of sign so yeah rest in peace from the last match we, we, I can fully appreciate marking out over stationery, especially when it comes to a dot matrix printer. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Rob, what was your sign of the night? 
I did very much enjoy that sign, um, but I'm going to give it to there was a Steiner Brothers will rule the World Wrestling Federation in 1997 sign, and then they'd hand drawn the Steiner Brothers underneath. Wow, so, predicting uh, four years in the future. Oh, 1993. Sorry. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Oh, the, the rule in WCW in 97. Well, I mean, Scott Steiner's the man in 2000, isn't he? But, no, Sid is. Mm, yeah, so I suppose Scott Steiner's like the end of 2000, 2001, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, 1993, they didn't, but, you know, the hand-drawn sign. Yeah, fair enough. I uh, I spotted a couple of others. There was a sign at the start of uh, Shawn Michaels versus Max Moon where somebody proclaimed that they, they had a sign that said, I'm too sexy for this world. Oh. Couldn't see the person holding it, so I can't, can't verify or deny, but I appreciate the confidence. After the Undertaker Damien Demento match, we had two very wordy signs. One of them said, Vote Paul Bearer for mayor in, 90, in 93. He'll help you earn, U R N, an honest living. Oh, bravo. And then they had the, uh, the names of the other candidate followed by who? Question mark. So they were predicting uh, the new day incoming. Then we had, Elect Paul Bearer for mayor in 1993. Not only will his undertaker lower the dead, but he'll also lower taxes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if these were his kids or what was going on. It was just really weird, wordy signs, and they felt like um, they felt like plants. Yeah, I was at an impact show, uh, the the old impact zone, and one of the weirdest things I've seen is somebody from the production team handing out signs to kids in the audience to hold up during the show. But the problem was, watching it back weeks later, they were all in the same handwriting. But the kids were spaced out all along the front row. <laughs> and it was just so obvious. But my sign of the night, it's the uh, same as yours, Rob. It's the, uh, the hand-drawn Steiner sign, because I appreciate the effort that went into drawing both the Steiners. Yeah. So we come to the final award of the night, and the most important award, the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. Graham, who gets your Rene Goulet? I'm going to keep it. I'm going to make you wait just for a little bit longer. Rice said Fred is really 30 years old. I guess that song must be. I'm too sexy. I'm sure oh, that's yeah, where that's it yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I'm, do- I'm like, there's no way. When you first said that, I was like, hold on, that doesn't make And I was like, oh, God, yeah, it is. 1992, 93. Oh, geez. Now it says haircut. So I'm not quite sure if I'm allowed to do this, but um, I'm going to go. You can pick whichever syrup you like, but Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's fine. I've uh, I've already previously said I'm reserving my one wig pick for the Rene Goulet for Gold Dust uh, at some point in the future, if we ever hit a Gold Dust match or anything like that. But yeah, no, that's... Well, we're doing it on a, a Tankatari match, uh, Super Brawl 2000. Um, Daphne has like a bob wig on and she does a Hurricane Rana or a Frankensteiner as it is in WCW and sort of the wig falls off as she's doing it and the long hair sort of sprays out while she's doing it. So it's like a really good hair effect. It's like wig to hair translation. I would have given a haircut of the night for that if we did that on Tankatari, but we don't. So she's not going to get it. But my haircut of the night is going to the unnamed ring girl because there was volume aplenty in that hair. She was more hair than ring girl. She would have fit in with the uh, the cast of Glow. She would. Absolutely, yeah. She she had a glorious barnet, in fairness to her. Um, I'm sticking with a childhood favourite, and I'm giving the Rene Goulet Award to Damien Demento. 
for the sheer bravery of having virtually all his head shaved, except for what would be the mullet tail at the back. So it's like a, a less tiny Reno. <laughs> and Rob's ruined it <laughs> by mentioning Reno. Right, so that's the awards. That's the awards done. One last thing to do, Graham. What would you rate the show out of ten? Well, while I was over on Cage Match, I took a little look to see what the uh, the pub said. Um, the, unless I'm stealing Rob's thunder here, because I haven't heard any mean, median, and modes yet mentioned at all. The I'm just going to go for a wee then while you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> the average rating for the event um, was amazingly 5.87. Three people gave it 10 out of 10. Now, I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> so, Vince, Rob... Uh, yeah, there were three commentators, right? Uh, it didn't list the names of the people who voted it 10 out of 10. Um, I'm being very generous. I put it was a 4 out of 10 at best. Fair which means not. I don't really think it was 4. But I'm going to so be what, So, what's your... So what's your if, if, you, if you're not being polite, what's your actual rate? This is having watched the Royal Rumble and found it very disappointing. And then I watched this and I was like, eh, well, perhaps it wasn't that bad after all. Um, three. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But the quality of the wrestling, from an historical point of view, then it was a little, it was obviously there was things I could pick out. But if I was ranking events solely on the event, I, I, I can only say three out of ten. Yeah, completely understand how you got there. Rob, what's your rating? Yeah, I'm going to go with a 3 out of 10 as well. When we've looked at a lot of these pilots, we've talked about, you know, did they try something different? And the reason it can get itself up to a 3 is at least they did try something different from the previous products. They tried to have this more gritty image. They tried to be relate more to what was happening in the world. I mean, it was awful. But, uh, you know, at least they, they'd had this idea and followed through with it. They were going to try and discuss current events. But, yeah, so I'm not saying it lacked ambition. There was definitely ambition there, but not much else. Can I just turn one more current event? I actually watched the start of, I mean, not enjoyed the first one at all. I actually watched the start of the second episode, just out of curiosity. And um, as they're introducing the commentators, uh, Ron Bartlett got a picture of Bobby the Brain Heenan and ripped it down the middle. Yes, um, he did following on with um, Sinead O'Connor ripping up the picture of the Pope from uh, 1992. So there was another reference there to something that was current in the news that they were keeping going. A little disrespectful from Rob. Incredibly like, disrespectful. It. Like, there's no reason for... But yeah, I guess he was going for heel heat, but it just didn't work. But the thing is, we know that that was on Vince's order. Pro probably, of course, yeah. Everything goes through Vince. I've done what I've done a few times uh, in the run of this show, and adjusted my ratings on the fly shall we say because <laughs> i was uh, in my uh, aforementioned haze of various uh, medications and and sort of general pain i've been quite generous and i'd even gone the extra mile and worked out and I, I, i'd gone to the effort of a decimal point for you graham <laughs> <laughs> but, but with i won't say clear ahead but on reflection, I, I, I was up at around about 5.8 initially Oof. because the, how I got there was there was nothing offensive with the in-ring stuff. You can't say it was bad, but it wasn't good. So it was essentially, it's just there, it's, it's middle of the road. So I gave that I gave that a five-ish, uh, I think, something somewhere around that. The storyline, there was plenty of threads going into the Rumble with, you know, Yoko, Bretton Razor, Narcissus, everybody just going into the Rumble match itself. 
uh, Heenan trying to get in. You've got the Doink and Crush thing. So that was we've we've seen shows throughout the run of this of, of our show that have a lot less story wise. So again, that was slightly above average. So that was a six. The presentation there was a lot of good. There was you know the shots outside were good. We've watched so many shows that are just in ring and nothing else. And the graphics were way above what I expected. The commentary was piss awful, and there were a couple of big production fuck ups. So that was around about a five. The promos were solid all night. And I think that's still true. You know, Heenan was Heenan was as good as he always is. Razor was decent. The Sean and Marty promos were sort of serviceable. And then Doink Crush, Fuji and Duggan, they were, they were average. So but that still comes out for me as being above average. And then the fans were the fans were decent. That's sort of how I broke it down at the time to get to around about 5.8. Um, but on reflection, it's, a, it's, about, it's about a four for me. I was, I was, I was being very generous. You told me you were giving me a decimal, and you just gave me four. No, four point zero. No, I said uh, four. Ah, so, uh, you got me on a technicality. See, also, I'm also, also, not, not to go all Matt Willis well actually. I did say that I was at a five point eight. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was my previous. That was my previous rating, but now because I've had a couple of drinks and we've. Sort of talked about how shit, how incredibly shit some aspects were. It's brought it down to a four. Well, if you've changed your rating, can I change my rating then a little bit? As soon as you got me on the idea of the decimal, because I'm going to guess nobody's ever given you um, a non-repeating decimal as their rating out of ten. So can I give my rating out of ten as pi then? Because that's pretty close to three. You can give me any pi you want. There's my rating pi pi done. <laughs> I've used I've used the Greek letter, so it's it's already down. <laughs> I was going to say I can't cross it out, but I've already crossed it out with your uh, previous one, so I can. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say I've said to Graham that he can give me any pie he wants, but I won't even drive. I won't even drive to Asda to get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for that review. You and Sai at some point. It'll happen. In, fa- in, fa- in fairness, I have I have been in the the little Asda near my work to see if they've got to see if they've got those pizzas, and they don't. But the big Asdas are just across the other side of the city. <laughs> I don't know, it's not that far, but I'm a lazy, lazy man. <laughs> the Asda Deli County pizzas are really good, considering the supermarket pizzas. Yeah. Oh, God, I spent three years making pizzas on a counter like that. <laughs> yeah, was... but never, no one's ever said that about the Morrisons ones. Damn, we're talking about the Asda ones. Yeah, no, yeah, but it, it was great. It was great fun. I used to finish at two on a Saturday, so I'd bum myself a pizza in at 10 to. Because we, <laughs> we actually had an oven to cook them. Uh, on request so I'd finish at like 2 o'clock go get my stuff from my locker come down grab my pizza and fuck off it was brilliant anyway on that tangent we'll uh, we'll wrap up so Graham where can people find you I love pizza talk this is this has been the highlight I mean this is what I've been waiting for I, I thought the wrestling talk was just to, to lead us to the food talk so no I'm glad that finally came up uh, oh, actually, no, find... no fuck it no fuck it then no, <laughs> fuck, your, uh, fuck, fuck your outro um, my go to pizza from a local takeaway is uh, it's called a Kiev pizza on the menu, so it's chicken, bacon, and the whole thing is brushed with garlic butter. Uh huh. I get that, but then I get extra cheese and then add Donna meat to it as well. Well, that was the one I posted this week as well. Like somebody said, it's like a Donna kebab, but it's inside the the pizza. And Mags mentioned that he can get that from his local, and he even posted like a little menu and stuff. But yeah, everyone seemed to be really receptive to that one. 
So I, I'd not seen that before. I thought that was kind of a unique one, but no, it's, it's kebab meat and cheese. What's not what's not to like? Well, <laughs> well yeah, yeah. Well, sounds like a perfect weekend food. It, oh, it reminds me. My dad went to um, New York for the Breeders' Cup uh, horse racing. Around, I think it was it was in two thousand. Actually, it was about six weeks after after nine eleven, and he was in some bar in New York. It was like a proper sort of locals dive bar. And him and his mate were sat in there, and the bar, uh, the landlord or, or bartender, whatever, said, "Does anybody need another drink?" And I was like, "No, we're all good." He said, "Great, I'll be back in ten minutes." So he just left, came back ten minutes later, carrying in two hands, carrying like a styrofoam box. He put it on the bar, opened it, and it was his, it was his tea basically. And he opened it up, and it was a huge, like, doner kebab. <laughs> smothered in cheese and he just slapped it on the apparently slapped it on the counter opened it up my dad and his mate looked at it and just went what the fuck is that and he just went heart attack on legs boys <laughs> i went to brooklyn in 2016 to go and watch britain try and qualify for kind of like the world cup of baseball i can't remember the exact name of it and one of the highlights of being in brooklyn is the local food so i took my son and we were like we just get it you buy pizza by the slice there that's how it works but those slices of pizza, oh my gosh. I, I'm, I'm going to say that Brooklyn has the best pizza. Uh, I've been to a few different places, I've tried it, and um, the size of the portions, the quality, it is awesome. And the, But that's the thing, people just stop in, they'll just walk into their little shop, and there's tons of them, and yeah, awesome food. Love they're, about, they're about the size of your head. Yeah, yeah, you can't really call it a slice, it's ridiculous. Like, if you put an individualized pan pizza... And next to the slice, I'm sure the slice is bigger. Or oh, that, and perhaps I'm exaggerating, but that's what it felt. No, like. you're not. You're not. It's you're ridiculous. Not. <laughs> it's obvious why they have to fold it in half to eat it, because otherwise you just you just can't. It's just impossible. So when you're folding it in half, did you have like the end of the slice? Did you have it like drop down, or did you flip it into the into the? I didn't flip it in. I can. I managed. I'm big guy. I got big hands. I can cope better. But for my son, I don't even remember what he had to do. He would have only been nine i think at the time something like that eight at the time so for him it was yeah he didn't finish it there was like no way it was just it's impossible i think i had a calzone is that what they're called calzone? The pizza pasties yeah i had one of, oh my gosh that thing was ridiculous i only ate half of it watching <laughs> it made in front of you and it was like yeah i have a big appetite like i can put food away and i was like yeah no that's not happening so i and i had some it, later it weighs about the same as a new bar <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, hoping to get back to there at some point. Uh, my co-host owes me three Coney Island hot dogs on a bet that we had, so um, I'm hoping I can uh, cash in. He said Manchester City wouldn't finish in the top four of the Premier League last year, so uh, he owes me three three hot dogs from New York, so I'm hoping I can take a trip up this summer. And if you yeah. vote in an Australian election, you can have four. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, Rob, what's your pizza of choice? I do like a calzone. That's normally the one I'd order. Since I've gone veggie, the the choices are significantly diminished, unfortunately. Oh well. So what's I should the calzone? Right on, now, I'm some... sure Matt will be listening. How good pineapple is on pizza? I'm not a massive pineapple fan. Shh. Tell him you are, just to annoy. No, him. I like pineapple on its own, or pineapple juice or whatever. I don't like it on a pizza. I like I like I like pina coladas on a pizza. No, just in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I thought I was on a delay then. 
<laughs> I thought my internet finally shit a bit. It was just a it was just a bad joke. Yeah, it's just the tumbleweeds <laughs> rolling past. <laughs> you think I'd be used to it by now? Anyway, on on that note, before I make an ass of myself anymore, Graham, where can people find you? Well, I was going to say follow me at MGB Graham, but to be honest, follow me at, at Good Bad Wrestle because I do more pizza talk on there. That, that's way more fun. I talk pizza. I talk more stuff on there. I just goof around on that one. MGB Graham's the serious uh, independent wrestling stuff, but at Good Bad Wrestle is the fun account because I, I can just goof around. I can pretend to be bad cop on there and just post controversial stuff. Well, not controversial stuff, but I can post bad food takes and pass them off as, oh, doesn't this look good when clearly it's not, which I think is always amusing to do. Oh, sorry, going on the uh, on the bad food takes thing. When I was a teenager, I was on a family holiday in America. We were looking for something to eat. We were on a road trip and we stopped into a supermarket and they had sausages on sticks wrapped in chocolate chip pancakes, but they were frozen. Oh, okay. I can't yeah, remember yeah, if yeah. I told you about those. No, um, but it's a staple. In, uh, that, they serve that at uh, school in the morning for their breakfast, so yeah. What the fuck, America? <laughs> Anyway, Rob, where can people find you? You can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. On the same channel that you're listening to this, you can follow on Booking the Tankatory, where we follow the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. And on the Twitter uh, feed for that, uh, UTT Tank, you can get hashtag Tank Facts. Yes, you can. Such... Such as Tank Abbott doesn't sleep, he waits. <laughs> I'm glad that I was walking early in the morning and no one was around me when I was listening to that segment because I just started laughing out loud. One got me going, and then you read the next one and I got to laugh even louder. And I was like, I'm glad no one's, because everyone's just going to think I'm a nutcase just laughing for no reason at all. They're brilliant. All world records have an asterisk next to them, and the asterisk is excluding Tank Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> I think that ties in with another tag fact, and that is that the uh, the Guinness World Records or uh, Guinness Book of World Records also doubles as Tank Abbott's diary. It does, it yeah. does. We've given we've given them free. If you want to find out more, head over to uh, at UTT Tank. Yep, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Griffin Twenty One. Usually tweeting about wrestling that's about six weeks out of date, or movies that are twenty five years out of date. You can also hear me and Rob on the pay per view reviews on the That Nineties Wrestling podcast feed. Uh, sorry, uh, playlist on Primetime Conversations YouTube. Uh, search Primetime Conversations on YouTube. Give it a like, share, subscribe. James does great work over there uh, interviewing uh, wrestlers, musicians, actors, anybody in the entertainment industry. Uh, you can also hear me on the Doctor Who podcast with uh, Cy Powell. Uh, we're covering one episode per Doctor in the first series uh, to see what lands for Cy with the new Who and what, um, uh, what lands with me for the old Who. And that's available on Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod, and that's at the D R W H O P O D. Thank you for listening. Heenan has been very persistent throughout the evening, attempting to get inside. Well, I've got some good news for him. Excuse me, Bobby. What? Bobby I Heenan. I know. I just got I word. I just got word. You can go on up. You're welcome. Go. go yes, you're on the way. No, let him go. Let him go. He's have a good time up there, Bobby.